What's up everybody and welcome to Anime Baby, where your lips taste the kiss of death. This is your host Mikey, and from this moment on, you are now my darling. And joining me as always is... Screw you. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, this for, for an anime like this, I got nothing for an intro. Hey, it's me, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> and welcome back to Summer of Trigger! And you may notice something's a little different with the audio compared to the past few episodes. The reason for that is... We're back to recording in the same room again! Because we moved in with each other! Moved in with each other in September! We are officially... Your hosts are officially roommates now. Yep, and now we're back to where we were pre-COVID. Recording in the same room, but this time we're living in the same place so we don't have to worry about travel and don't have to worry about social distancing as much. Thank God for walking closets I have no <laughs> use for. Yeah, we got a bit of a sort of a studio setup here going on right now in your walking closet. Yes, you might be able to hear that through our audio quality here. It's going to be a work in progress, a fine new canvas for us to work with, so we're pretty happy to work forward with this. Yeah, and like uh, as the episodes go on, we'll be getting better and better, like with equipment, and hopefully trying to make this a bit more, make the sound a bit more better. Make this make this whole thing look professional. <laughs> and we have a big one for you today. So big, we're gonna have to split it up into two parts because, like WrestleMania 36, it's too big for one episode. And after dropping hints here and there throughout the podcast lifespan, I think almost all the way from the beginning, I want to say. The time has finally come. On this episode, we're talking about Darling in the Franks. Oh boy, this was a long time coming. Yeah, like, this episode, long time in the making, and uh, I guess here's a little bit of the background on the journey it took to get here. So, back in the days before the podcast even began, when I was still in the idea phase of the pod, I was still using the idea thing, like, oh, it'd be great if we can record a podcast together and talk about anime and all that kind of stuff. I was putting together a potential list of episodes, most of which did end up being shows that we've covered, and one of those shows early on was going to be Darling in the Franks, because it was airing at the time, like I had this idea for the podcast, mid-2018, 
and I wanted to do this one pretty early on, and in fact, I had originally scheduled it to be done before uh, Anime Detour 2019. Like, I even showed you the potential list of episodes, thinking like, okay, we're gonna hit this this month, hit this that month, and then, like, you saw Darling in the Franks was gonna be, like, March around the time. And I even hinted at it during my uh, 2018 Top 10 Anime Pod, when, uh, at the end I talked about how I said, like, oh yeah, I love to cover some of these shows that I talked about in the future episode, within the next year or so. Oh, but no, you wanted to block something off special for it. You saw the potential in it. Yeah, like, uh, I held off on it on a variety of reasons, as uh, in March, during uh, 2019, we did My Hero Academia Season 1 instead, because the previous episode was Black Clover, and I wanted to follow up that one with an example of Good Shonen, so that had to be pushed back. And also, I didn't think we were quite ready to do a 24-episode anime at the time. We were still doing, like, the shorter 13, 12 episodes at the time. It was a big beast to tackle at that time. Yeah, so the plan then was to possibly do it uh, that summer, 2019. But then I got another idea, that being doing Summer of Heroes, where we cover the rest of My Hero Academia for the rest of the summer. So it got pushed back again. In the midst of Summer of Heroes, that's when I got the idea of every year we do a summer series where we cover, like, either one big show with multiple seasons or multiple shows that are related to each other in some way. And then I got the idea for Summer of Trigger, and I knew one of the shows we'd cover would be Darling in the Franks. You just you just had to give it the royal treatment. And, like, there's a reason for this show being a big one to cover, because never have I ever seen more discourse surrounding an anime than I have for Darling in the Franks when it was airing, and still to this very day. Like, it was crazy. I know, I was baffled by, like, the, the both both the popularity and the vitriol that was uh, projected onto this anime going through it at the time. And um, it's not until recently for this podcast that I'd finally fully watched it. Because, like, <laughs> I didn't want all that drama back then. <laughs> I wanted no part of it. Like, do you remember some of, uh, some of the drama specifically back then? Uh, not particularly, but, like, I know there was, like, some stuff involving, like, characters and love triangles and whatnot. Some of them, some characters making, you know, rash decisions and whatnot here and there. Like, all stuff I couldn't really care about, because it's like, who cares? The story isn't finished yet. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, save save those kinds of comments and analysis for when it's all actually done and played out. Like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, that was that was kind of my perspective at the time, going through it all. Like, aside from, like, the drama, which I just wanted no part of, mm -hmm. I just looked at the show, and something was, just from, like, looking at it in the previews, and some of the footage and gifts I saw repeated online, I had this overwhelming feeling of, so what? <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of slower for Trigger. This th this looks a little more serious. Like, yeah. Oh, this... This is a little off-brand for the yeah, for the studio here. It is honestly like to this day their most serious work they've done. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not unlike many of the previous works they've done. I mean, it's more serious than Gridman, and Gridman was even serious. Yeah, Gridman was, got pretty dark in some places. Yeah, it got it got pretty dark in places, but it still had that like you know lighthearted Tokusatsu feeling to it. Right, right. But um, no, they went up to the next level <laughs> with Darling. <laughs> they, it's. In many ways, it is ambitious, and yet in so many other ways, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, at the time, didn't really think much of it. I, it was it was like it was like a big minefield I wanted to avoid. Other than like some of the drama you may have like seen online, like your only other perspective on the show was me talking about it almost every week and tweeting gushing about, about it, it in my like, ear, thinking like, "Oh man, this show is pretty great. It's pretty wild, man." Talking it off, wishing there was some legal, nonviolent way to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember like. Uh, I think, like, two straight years of conventions, I'd o- always buy, like, some Darling of the Franks merch, like, uh, ASEN. During when the show was airing, I bought, like, a big Zero Two print and also, like, some keychains. And I, and you, I remember you were all like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's pretty great, man. Good for you. Yeah, good good for you. And then, That's like, the awesome. year after that, at Detour, I bought the Blu-rays. And I'm like, yeah, check this out. And you're like, yeah, 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 good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whatever, it's your money. <laughs> uh, worth it, though. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I understand. Like, I still need to find I, a place to hang up that poster. <laughs> I've I've spent more. I, yeah, I've spent like more money on uh, ridiculous stuff like that. Uh, in fact, it's actually sitting in your new shelf that you bought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the big uh, venom snake figure. <laughs> That's the centerpiece of my shelf. If you've seen the picture on my Twitter, the monetary details I will never divulge. No, and uh, I I know the branding of that figure, and I know they get uh, they get pretty steep. Yeah, <laughs> steep. And I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this is going to be a big one. And uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, if you were a fan of, say, our Bloom Into You episode or our ReZero episode, then you're going to love this because we're going to be, we're probably going to be butting heads a bit more than those two combined. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah, I, I think I will actually get a, I think not only will we butt heads, I think I will actually, for once, get serious. Yeah, because, like, uh, you know, why you didn't care for Bloom Into You or ReZero, in the end, you said that they are not bad shows. Yeah, they're, they're not bad shows. They were they just kind of weren't my thing. You weren't, weren't your thing. Uh, and you for can various circumstances. And you can understand why people did like them. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I could still, res- I have still respected those shows. Mm-hmm. But with this... <laughs> I have no respect for Darling. <laughs> <laughs> no respect whatsoever. No respect. It's Rodney Dangerfield to you. It's... No, no. I even like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Well, you know, he gets no respect. He gets no respect. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> but, um, no, this is... It's it's a more... I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, I guess, I guess we'll have to get more into the details later on because uh, that's when I will get into serious mode. Yeah, the nitty-gritty of this one. The nitty-gritty. So, Dolly and the Franks is a co-production between Trigger and Cloverworks. Uh, Cloverworks, if you remember, was behind The Promised Neverland. You know, they're kind of a relatively a new studio. They were once a subsidiary of A1 Pictures, and actually during uh, the airing of Darling and the Franks, midway through, they branched off to Cloverworks. Right. And the series was directed by Atsushi Nishigori, whose only prior directorial work before this was the first Idolmaster series, aka the popular anime that isn't Love Live and not as good. Oh, Idolmaster? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and yeah, I said it, Idolmaster is not that great. Come at me, Stan. <laughs> Could not get into Idolmaster at all. You, you, you can't get me into it either. No, can't get into it, or it's million, billion spinoffs. Well, isn't like a lot of like gotcha stuff involved with it? Yeah, well? like a lot of like, cell phone I, games. I cannot get into that. Gotcha, and also the fact that there's like way too many characters. Like, there's so many that I just can't get into any of them because none of them like get really any development for me. Fuck that. Whereas with like Love Live... I, I have a, I only have enough room for like every One Piece side character and one off character. I do not have enough room for that. Whereas with like Love Live, there's like groups of nine, and I'm just like perfect, big enough but not too small. Yes, keep it just like that. And other than that, Nishigori worked on a lot of stuff with Trigger and Gainax as a character designer and key animator, specifically for shows like Gurren Lagann. 
And so Darlene the Franks premiered on January 13th, 2018 and ran until July 7th, 2018. The show was licensed by Funimation and Crunchyroll with Funimation producing a simuldub and Crunchyroll releasing the subversion. And said dub is directed by our boy, Clifford Shapin, his second uh, Trigger anime in 2018, the other being Gridman. Okay, nice, nice. With adaptive scripts by Alex Munez, Clayton Browning, and Joel Bergen. Yeah, on the animation side, I was I, I was a little taken back by how, um, the uh, from the directorial side, um, not, like, too much directorial experience on this one Yeah, previously. My guess the reason for that is, is because... Uh, well, in 2018, the other stuff that Trigger was working on were Gridman and also Promare, so I'm pretty sure they were probably stretched thin, and then that's why they had to uh, do the partnership with A1 and then Cloverworks, because they already had a lot of their hands uh, busy with other projects. That's w one of the only ways I can explain the story on this thing, is just either inexperience or uh, a gamble on new talent. And also, I will get into this later, there's like... Uh, Let's just say Trigger and Cloverworks weren't really the best of partners. Ooh. Like, uh, you know, like some of the partners in this show, they weren't like that, no. Hmm, okay. So, with all that out of the way, there's no turning back now. Summer of Trigger continues with Darling and the Franks, part one. So without further ado, let's start the show. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> So, first things first, the opening and the ending, or shall I say endings, because there's a lot of them. But uh, the opening is Kiss of Death by Mika Nakashima and written by Hyde. And the ending, uh, there's a bajillion of these endings, uh, yeah, I'll be honest. They're done by a group called Kiss Me, which is a group consisting of the main Japanese female cast. And the only one of these endings I feel is worth a damn in this first half is the song Torikago, which is the first opening. So, what do you think of these songs here? Something about them is just kind of off to me. Like, I don't know, it was like, I listened to it, and like, sure, there was a lot of emotion put forward into it, but like, I don't know, I didn't like it. Really? I just didn't like it very much. It felt a little too overproduced, in my in my opinion. It was too loud, just uh, a little... Maybe it's also just because it's paired with the visuals, because I do not like the visuals for either of the openings. 
Yeah, for the visuals, I will agree that there are some stuff that I don't like. Uh, it does the cardinal sin, I feel, for some openings where it shows footage from the show rather than do original animation. Yes, flashing by still images, still like images the main cast also... images of main cast members as well. I hated that as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a negative, but uh, I will say... I feel the song Kiss Death is a fucking banger. I love this song. And I also love all the covers done by the song afterwards because everyone knew the song was great, so they had to cover it, like Amelie or uh, Little V Mills. I don't know. I think it's a little overblown, in my opinion. Nah, I think it's got, I think it fits well with the series, and, you know, lyrics also fit well with the show, but uh, I think the song's really, really good. Like, fine, the lyrics can fit well, but, like, musically, it's... Mm, I don't know. It doesn't... It doesn't... It just doesn't feel right enough. And as for the endings, like like I said, the only good one is Torikago, the first one, and then the rest of them are, for the first half at least, aren't really all that great. They're just kind of cutesy, nothing anime endings. Yeah, like uh, a cutesy attitude that really does not fit with no, the No, not at, at all. all. Not at all. It's it's quite awful. Yeah, but the first one, I feel, works. Yeah, it was fine enough. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's the same, it's same reason for, like, the first, I didn't like the first one either. It's like, it just, uh, it just feels off, very off. So we start off with our first arc, and we kick off with some cryptic shit. A story about a bird called a Jihan, which is like a mythical bird with only one eye and one wing, and the way it flew is that it had to partner up with a very similar bird to be its other wing and other eye. Right. So we then see our setting for the series, and a very interesting one at that. The story is set in the distant future. The world is ruined, and humanity establishes mobile forts cities called plantations. The world is ruled over by Ape, which is a political organization that consists of scientists and politicians who govern all known humanity. All civilian and military organizations report to them or someone under them, and they are led by their chairman, known only as Papa, played here by Christopher Sabat. And in one of these plantations, number 13 to be exact, we meet a boy named Hiro, played by my boy, Matt Shipman, my boy in the show that officially made him my boy, hell yeah. And Hiro comes across an injured bird that flies away from him. And as he looks for the bird, he arrives at a nearby lake, and there he meets her. And here we are introduced to Zero Two, played here by Tia Ballard, hashtag your Tia. And talk about making a first impression as Hiro sees a naked girl for the first time while she's skinning, dipping in a lake, also hunting for fish, apparently. This is a very declarative debut for a character. The very first character interaction we have with our main char- with these two main characters is one in which the female character is completely nude and kind of coming on to the male character. Uh, I can see your whatnots. Yeah. Also, something about uh, being a protagonist in a mecha anime always tends to have them run into almost, like, a situation with an almost entirely naked girl, you know that? In some, yeah, you can definitely see that. Yeah, I don't know, I just feel it's like a comic The the more hornier ones. Yes. (laughs) And upon this first meeting with Hiro, we see that Zero Two takes an immediate liking to him, and she's very, and I mean very, forward with him. Hiro is totally pulling a Ricky Bobby here, you know, where he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. <laughs> but after their meeting, Hiro and Zero Two go their separate ways, and we now turn our attention to our main characters taking part in some kind of opening ceremony as we get a brief overview of their purpose. They have to pile giant fighting robots in boy-girl pairs, more on that in a bit, in order to protect what's left of humanity. These robots are called Franks, and they are named after their creator, Dr. Franks, played here by Kent Williams. Uh, the doc's an eccentric old man scientist with a jaw of steel, and also he's a dirty old fucker. Um, yeah, he just kind of, like, gropes, like, the female handler of the teens, and then 
proceeds to never do that again for the rest of the series. Yeah, it's just like a really weird thing to, for him to do the first time. Although, as as we will see, there there's aspects to his character that will be consistent here. Yeah. That just don't involve actions like that. <laughs> but Hiro, however, can pilot one of these robots. And now he and his partner, now former partner Naomi, played here by Megan Shipman, no relation, are being sent home. So it's kind of like in WWE, where if you're shit, you're sent back to developmental. So Hiro and Naomi here are going back to NXT. Yep, sorry, get back to the old league. Ah, uh, but no, here, he's just completely out, though. Yep, but before we get to that, we get our first battle! And we are introduced to the main enemy of the series. These are the Klaxosaurs, which I feel range from being... They can be pretty cool looking, but also can be pretty generic looking. Yeah, that's the first thing I noticed with the villains of this series. The villains are all of these um, like very nondescript robots where the only defining features of them are that they're uh, black with blue veins and they look all robotic. And also dinosaur-like too. Some are dinosaur-like. Um, but, um, no, they, they, something about them feel very impersonal, uh, just, just from like a visual standpoint, when you first see them, they, they look like, um, they look like computer technology. <laughs> they, they look like, uh, the row of computers you would find in a Best Buy or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new Apple branded Klaxosaur. I know. You just look at the whole row of them and you're all like, okay, fine. Like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. what shall I buy today? <laughs> And they're seen fighting a Sogaleo-looking robot being piloted alone by Zero Two, since we see her current partner is fucking dying. And I will uh, splice you in the next scene here, because it's a, it's a big major scene early on in the series. It's the You Are Now My Darling scene. Ow! What was that? Hey! Are you alright? Forget about him. He's a goner. Wait, you're... What are you doing in there? What does it look like? I'm going monster hunting, of course. You're gonna pilot this thing? All by yourself? I gotta go. Wait! Hold on a second! You can't go like that! Get off me! This is crazy. Besides, you're on your own now. Franks can't be piloted alone. I'm always alone. It's been like that forever. I'm used to it. Don't go! You'll die out there! So what? I'm not afraid of death. Sooner or later, that thing's gonna start moving again. And when it does, everyone here is gonna die. But I'm not afraid of death. And even if I were, I'd still have a job to do. Now if you'll excuse me. I'm powerless. Right now I can't do anything to help my friends. Or fight a Klaxosaur. That's what I kept thinking. But as I stared at the girl standing in front of me, for some reason the words that escaped my lips were... Wait! I'll pilot that robot with you. I'm not about to let you do this on your own. Oh? And are you prepared to die? I don't know that. But what I do know is, right now I don't belong anywhere. Which means I might as well be dead. So please, take me with you! Mm, you really are just like me. You and I are very similar. I haven't seen a human cry in quite a long time. I like the look in your eyes. It makes my heart race. Now come to me. 
let me get a taste of you. After all, you are now my darling! Negative and positive. The male and female factors combine and their hearts become one. The Iron Maiden will reveal her true form. Now this is a Franks! Beautiful, isn't it? You're the best, Relicia! Yeah, but who's piloting it? I feel this is the first of many scenes of Matt Shipman and Team Ballard getting over how amazing they are in this role. Like, they really knocked the show out of the park. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, main uh, real uh, partnership in this uh, anime. So, yeah, they would have to really put their best foots forward. And so Hiro gets his first kiss, though, as we'll soon know, he doesn't know what to make of it. And Zero's Two's Franks, Strelitzia, transforms into its true form, complete with a Kill a Kill S transformation sequence here. Do you see that? It kind of does like the light fiber synchronized sort of thing. Yeah, but the, the the one thing that, again, like, um, puts me off is that um, this is, like, really, like, this, this this is, like, one of the only, like, kind of transformation sequences in the series, because, like, the other robots don't do that. No, the other robots are, like, fully transformed already. Yeah, so, yeah, again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, like, that's just something I kind of noticed here, is that uh, this lion form is not very prominent in the series, nor, like, it's, 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 it's a pointless transformation, <laughs> in my opinion. I don't know, I kind of dig it, because I like the design of Strelitzia, like both forms. Well, yeah, we, we'll get into that when we get to the robot designs. Mm. And we get a taste of how the action scenes in this show are going to look, and even though this show is technically only half trigger, we do get a little bit of trigger flexing here and there. Yeah, like, in, in the early parts, it knows where to um, kind of uh, upgrade, you know, upgrade to the uh, good Sakuga animation. But uh, what do you think of this first opening battle here? Um, it was just fine, like, again, it was like, I, I didn't really know who the aggressors were very much, so it's like, I was, I felt kind of detached a little bit from this battle, but like, you know, the visuals still looked fine, so I was kind of giving it a chance here. Yeah, but but yeah, the action scenes themselves just looked like, just, it just looked fine, you know? It's like a, a decent opener for the series. Okay, okay. And so at the end of the fight, the squad gets introduced to Zero Two, and we find out that her horns come from the fact that she has Klaxosaur blood running through her veins. So she's one of them. After that battle, we move on, as it's breakfast time, and let's formally introduce our squad. Squad 13, to be exact. Roll call! Team Leader, Team Mom, Team Big Sister, and Best Girl, Code 016, aka Ichigo, played here by Brittany Lotta. 
Love my strawberry girl. Most fans of the show love Zero too, and while I think she's great too, it's Ichigo who's number one in my heart. And if you talk shit about her, then God help me, I'll destroy you. Well, be prepared, because I'm going to talk shit about her. <laughs> Next, best bro, as we'll soon see, Code 056, a.k.a. Goro, played here by Austin Tyndall. You're welcome. He, along with Ichigo, are Hiro's childhood best friends, and he's also Ichigo's partner. Next, kind-hearted girl who also happens to tend flowers, which automatically makes her the Aerith of the group, Code 556, a.k.a. Kokoro, played here by Jean Tarado. Ain't she sweet? Next, her partner, who describes himself as a big, thirsty teddy bear, Code 214, a.k.a. Futoshi, played here by Blake Shepard. Uh, Scott Steiner, can you tell us what he's all about? He's fat! Next, calm, insightful, and honestly, the one character in Franks that gets the shaft as the series goes on, Code 196, a.k.a. Ikono, played here by Leah Clark. More on that later. And her partner, the MJF of the series, because he thinks he's better than you and you know it, Code 326, a.k.a. Mitsuru, played here by Bryson Bagus. Brash, twin-tailed Sundundere, Code 390, a.k.a. Don't Call Her Hatsune, Miku, played here by Brin April, whoop whoop! Been a while since my last Spring April. Whoop whoop. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, her partner and my darling in the Franks boy, Code 666. I love that. AKA Zorome, played here by Ryan Reynolds. Uh, not to be confused with the famous Green Lantern actor, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I love that there's a completely different Ryan Reynolds yeah. out there who also does acting. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's got to be rough for her. Yeah, like, uh, I'm pretty sure when the cast announcement came out, everyone was like, wait, Deadpool is in the show? What? How'd you get him? <laughs> and then Cliff Shapin had to be like, no, 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 it's uh, it's someone else. Right. <laughs> uh, but this is Squad 13, and I love them. These kids are what hold the show together for me, and without them, my feelings on the show would be very much different. Uh, I I didn't know really what to expect, I guess. I mean, I, I knew the, the team ahead of time would be, you know, ch- relatively chummy with with each other. But, um, no, they seemed like a, they seemed at first like a decent bunch to have for a, you know, giant mecha series about teenagers and whatnot. So I was ready to see where it was, where it was going to go. And I like the opening uh, breakfast scene here where uh, Zorome tries to introduce himself to Zero Two while acting all big and cool with his dick hanging out. And he's, she's just casually wiping honey on his chest, just like, I don't give a fuck about you, shut up, kid. <laughs> and also, Zero Two slathering honey on everything. Not sure how good that is. Maybe it's like how some people pour maple syrup on their eggs and bacon and stuff. But yeah, whatever. Don't knock it till you try it. Right, right. <laughs> Only reason she's here is because she wants to get close with her darling. Though she is in consideration for sticking around with the squad. Can I just say one thing? Just one thing about the opening here. Um, this is the this. We're officially now into episode two of the series, and um, I had a gut guttural reaction at the very beginning. Um, one that I knew was going to set the tone for how the characters were going to go throughout the series. I mean, it was a real, it was a real tone setter. Like I knew, like this is where I knew where I was going to get where I was getting into, like this kind of series, and it was the opening line that our main character gives uh, about kissing, where he talks about, like, uh, like I never knew before what a kiss was. I was told it's when two people share, like, their fluids or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like he's philosophizing about, like, what a kiss was, because he didn't know what a kiss was. And I fucking burst out laughing. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> They're all fucking stupid. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not stupid. They're more. They're, they're, they're more all sheltered. sheltered. There he is. F- oh no. Yeah, they don't. They don't know about the facts of life. Our squad. And it's like, oh my god. It's like, it's like knowing you're gonna have to like babysit children for the rest of the series. <laughs> 
Oh, that was that was a rough one. To, <laughs> that was rough but funny. I mean, they're not so bad. They're not like kids who like you know rub snot all over the place and shit themselves. They just don't know about you know the birds and the bees. No, but it does set up that these are kids that are highly sheltered and are looked after by immediately by adults who are feeding them all of their information in life. And let's meet some of those adults as we meet their caretakers. First is Nana, played here by Michelle Rojas. She's nice. And we meet their commander, Hachi, played here by Eric Vale. You, uh, you get it? Nana, Hachi, you know, seven and eight in Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't catch on that first time. Yeah, nice little pun there. So the squad suits up, and we see how they prepare to pilot a Franks, as well as the Franks themselves. And uh, the designs of these robots, I feel, are very nice looking, just like Strelitzia. They're all very cool and unique. Mm, they're okay. Um, there's There's a few problems I have with them. Um, I feel I feel like their color choices alone are kind of fine, although um, I don't know their overall construction is just the the overall construction to the robots in this particular anime and the way they're operated um, is just kind of like confusing to me a little bit. First of all, is like the weapons they wield. Uh, the the way they defeat the Klaxosaurs in the series is by using weapons that are imbued with magma from the earth that um, show up on their mechs and whatnot. Uh, the orange in these designs does not uh, does not pop out very well compared to all the colors on these respective robots. Whenever I'm in the world, like I forget. Whenever they're fighting out environments, I like like I like when they're fighting at night. When they're fighting at night, their weapons actually glow, so it's like oh, it pops out. Like that lets you know that like you know these are weapons worth like uh, keeping your attention to. Right. But whenever they're out in the environments, like the orange doesn't clash very well with like the black and green of one of the of one of the Franks's. It does. It clashes really badly with the pink on one of them as well. I mean, it was. Ugh, I, I get. I get it. Like magma. Like orange. You know. Like it's. You, you got to make it that color. But I don't think like the color artists like really thought really about how it was going to contrast with the other colors of these robots. Uh, especially in regards to Strelitzia, you know, like orange and red very close to each other. It just, it, it's like not, it's like screwing with my, my uh, art history head, you know. I don't know, I feel like Strelitzia kind of works better because, you know, because orange and red are so close together, it kind of matches a little bit more and they kind of like blend in a bit better. Kind of, but like, there's, there's like other problems I have too. Um, I guess we can get into like the, the operation of these things. Yeah, but uh, first let's talk about the partnerships. We have uh, Ichigo and Goro piloting Delphinium. Zorame and Miku piloting Argentea, Kokoro and Futoshi pilot Genista, and Ikuno and Mitsuru pilot Chlorophytum. And notice how all the names are all very flower themes, and there's like a lot of different flower themes throughout this, because like uh, each of the kids, are they're known as uh, stamens and pistols to like designate their uh, position in the Franks. That was a re oh that was a really confusing term though. <laughs> I wasn't very familiar with like flowers or anything, so it I was took like, me a while to get to it too. And I was like, "What are you fucking talking about?" <laughs> I mean, and that's that's another problem I have with the series too. Just starting right off is that there are Final Fantasy thirteen levels of terminology to the series that bug the shit out of me. Oh boy, those are some fighting words if you try to compare this to Final Fantasy thirteen. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going there. I'm going oh, there. Oh, man. Like, pistols, stamens, uh, like, even with, like, the Franks units, or um, even as, like, the kids, the, the kids are referred to as uh, parasites, 
as we see later in the series. I kept hearing all these words, and I was like, oh my god, would you fucking slow down and explain some of these terms? I, will <laughs> I, need, I need someone new to all this to explain this to me. I will say Parasite is the one thing that confuses, that's like a little weird for me, because it doesn't really fit with the flower motif that they're going here. Yeah, no, that like that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, they should have cho- chosen something else, like, I don't know. I don't really know much about flowers either, so. Fucking mistletoe or something, that's a parasitic plant. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Fucking name them weeds or, after weeds or some yeah, just shit. Yeah, little weeds here piled in these ranks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hiro, you want to be a weed? Yeah, that was another thing that, like, did not gel with me, it, like, at all, initially. It was just, like, the, 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 the word salad of terms they, like, throw at you to start off the series. Yeah, I will be honest, like, the, my first viewing, it kind of took me until about, uh, it took me several episodes to kind of figure out, okay... Boys are stamens, girls are pistols, they are collectively known as parasites. Okay, I think I got it. I got used to it, but, like, it was still something that, like, frustrated me throughout the entire series. It's even harder when you're, because I also watched the uh, Japanese version in addition to the dub when it was first airing, so, like, having to read that and watch that, it was, you can imagine it being kind of a, a bit, like information overload at first and because and even near the end of the series they're still doing this too yeah, they introduced ter- new terms yeah yeah oh <laughs> it fro- it pissed me off okay let's not beat around the bush here let's talk about the piloting position because this was one of the first things people dogpiled on when the series first came up because as we learned from kill a kill trigger isn't known for being subtle and how how are they piloting here if you may tell us so the female pilot uh, gets into uh, a doggy position into the uh, front section of the cockpit, uh, you know, grabbing onto handles in front of her and has a helmet extend over her head, obscuring her face. Uh, and uh, there, is, there are also some handles that jut out from the side of her buttocks, <laughs> which are then grasped onto by the male pilot. Uh, the male pilot of which is really the only face you are meant to care about in these mechs, and whenever they're referring to the, referring to a female member of the robot who is talking, they cut to a screen which shows the face, the face on these robots, which all have, uh, you know, feminine appearances. They're made to look like each of the girls. Made to eat, look like each of the girls, which again already, f- like again, like threw me off. Like, why don't you just show their face in the cockpit? <laughs> well, I mean, that's like the reason for the visor, so like they can kind of connect to that face, and that face can kind of make the same expressions as they do. It's like I guess, but it was like, what's the what was the purpose of that really, other than just like having robots that can talk? Well, also do like sell figures of the robots too. Oh yeah, of course. That's <laughs> another factor. And uh, oh, and when they link, oh, and when they uh, link up with each other and grab each of these handles, they all make very suggestive comments <laughs> when they're first getting into these robots. Ah, but because of their shelterness, do they know they're suggestive? Fuck you, that's not, that is not a rationalization. I mean, come on. No, as a writer, you can't rationalize that way. No. Come on. It doesn't fucking work. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's gratuitous. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's one of those things where like the writer's like, ha ha, you get it, you get it. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) I'll be honest, it's certainly stupid as hell. Oh, this is very stupid. But I found it hilarious. Like the first time I saw it, I busted out laughing i had to pause it the first time i saw this episode i mean i'll admit after a while you do get used to it yeah it's like we kill a kill on like the uniforms in there i just kind of got used to it and i didn't really mind after a while right right because you know it's it's not as much of a you know because like most of the characters like character work takes over later on you know it's like it's 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 there you comment on it for a second but you get over it real quick yeah 
Though I do remember, like, when this came out, this led to a lot of uh, fun cosplay pictures of people trying to do these positions at cons, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm sure people were, like, riffing on this so hard. Oh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun pictures there. <laughs> I just imagine someone just sticking a steering wheel, putting a steering wheel on top of someone's butt, and just, like, steering it like a pirate captain. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to launch, sir. <laughs> or, like, uh, you play one of those uh, video games where you have to use, like, the steering wheel, like a Wiimote or something like that, and you just, like, place it right on their ass. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, I got a great example. <laughs> look up uh, some of the um, look up some of the images from the film El Super Bisto involving uh, the uh, main female character in there and her robot. Her, her, robot, her robot of which transforms into some very suggestive uh, 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 vehicle transformations. It is exactly like that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I gotta see this. <laughs> Fuck it, I'll just show you in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, never mind, but that's kind of yeah. what they look like there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a transformation where he's just on his back, like, grabbing onto her ass. Oh, my like, God. And she's controlling a dro- joystick on his crotch <laughs> to drive him. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my God. It's fucking dumb. This is dumb. Like, they're subtle with the flower naming conventions, but totally unsubtle with the doggy style of piloting, so I guess they balance each other out. Right, right. It's fine enough there. And now I know why it's called the cockpit. Yeah. Oh! Oh, I'm glad you popped for that. I was going to say, like, I'll see myself out if you're going to boo me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I got you there. I got you there. (laughs) But uh, no, um, yeah. But uh, already, uh, but yeah, like you can, you basically get the gimmick they're going with here. Flowers, like connecting female and male and stuff together. Uh, even the opening story where they uh, they they specifically clarify that the bird is made up that the bird of legend is made up of one male part and female part. Yeah, already we're seeing the setup for um, some of the major theming of the course of the series. Anyway, afterwards, Ichigo confronts Zero Two about piling with Hiro. She tells uh, Dino Waifu to stay away from Hero, but Zero Two is all like, I'm gonna though. And Ichigo and the rest of the squad are concerned about Hero piloting with Zero Two since they've heard some pretty nasty rumors about her. Saying that uh, she's known as the partner killer, and like if you partner with her more than three times, then you'll pretty much end up dead. And we kind of saw that before with the, uh, the first jobber that uh, she kicked out. Hiro won't be allowed to partner with Zero Two for the time being, so in the meantime, they have to have him practice in a mock battle by partnering with Ichigo. And it starts off fine, but the Frank shuts down after a little bit. Uh, Hero's having some uh, performance issues. <laughs> uh, you boo that one, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. It, uh, it happens to the best of us, Hero. It's fine. No, yeah, she uses that very similar terminology like that, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. <laughs> There's like a, I can appreciate at least the, uh, the dub script kind of keeping in some of the... Uh, innuendos there, you know, ma- ma- being able to translate them to English. They were kind of unavoidable. Yeah. <laughs> so they come up with an idea. Let's try kissing. That's a neat trick. But it doesn't work as Hiro feels nothing. And uh, I do like one shot here where we have uh, Ichigo getting frustrated as she just throws her head down. And as she does that, you can see on the screen that was behind her, Zero Two, just like yawning, going like, yeah, I knew I was better. And so the battle just ends with them just, like, not being able to sync up and anything like that. And uh, we leave with uh, Ichigo having the line, you were awful. And by the way, I should mention here, uh, Ichigo and Hiro's uh, dub VAs, they're married, by the way. Oh, how nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do I do like, want to mention here how much I do love how uh, Matt Shipman and Brittany Lotta were pretty much the big 
cheerleaders for the show during its airing, you know, like, uh, each week they would do, like, live streams on this, uh, app called Anime Unlocked, where they would kind of do, like, a, it's kind of like a post-show, talking smack, talking dead sort of thing with the fans, where they just discuss the episode, and, uh, I remember them having a lot of, uh, great discussions about that, and I just, like, I just really remember that, and I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, did you watch that whole, uh, that whole run? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I tuned in almost, like, every week to watch, like, the live streams to uh, talk about the episodes and stuff like that. Aha! Indoctrination! <laughs> that's, that's, that that adds a, another piece of the puzzle that gets, gets put in place. Hey, man, I need my weekly weekly dose of uh, Frank's discussion. <laughs> but uh, moving on here to the next episode, uh, we get a little flashback to little Babby Hero giving little Babby Squad 13 their names. And it's cute, and it kind of sets up, sets up some stuff for later. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely get a nice little look into what their childhoods were like. Yeah, but only brief, but uh, as the series goes on, we get to see uh, see it a bit more and more. So, after the one-night stand with Ichigo, Hiro is more determined than ever to pilot with Zero-Two again. After his training session, Hiro runs into Zero-Two again, and the, share, and the two share a nice moment as Zero-Two takes Hiro t- into a restricted area overlooking the city. And we get a nice little insight on Zero-Two's views on life, which he kind of... Uh, Kind of doesn't really care much for life, you know, we're just all fodder, we're just here to fight, and if we die, we die, you know, kind of taking the Kirk Cousins approach to things. The squad are assigned to their first sortie with the task of defeating a Klaxosaur under the city. But as they are about to leave, Ikono and Mitsuru's connection falters, and thus, uh, only the pilots of uh, Delphinium, Argentea, and Janista proceed without them. And things don't go so well as uh, the Klaxosaurs overpower the squad and even taking out Argentea when Miku gets knocked out. Zero Two wants to go in to help with her darling beside her, but Hachi's all like, no, nah, not gonna happen. Yeah, things are looking pretty well boned. Instead, Mitsuru is the one who goes in his place, as he's the only other boy available to pilot, and we can also clearly see that he just wants to get away from Ikono, as he doesn't really seem to care much for her. And he's also intent on showing up Hiro, because, as we'll soon know, these two have a very interesting history with each other. And as they're fighting, Mitsuru's getting really into it until Zero Two offers to go even further, and it proves to be too much for him, and he comes out of Strelitzia battered and bruised, pretty much reaffirming Zero Two's claim that uh, Hiro is the only one for her, and that anyone else can't pilot with her, or else they'll end up like this. Looking very drained. Yeah. You know, uh, Zero Two is into some crazy shit, and, uh, you know, not gonna kink shame. Like killing her partners. <laughs> <laughs> can't get more kinky than that. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Hiro's the only guy who can keep up with her, and, like, you never would have guessed would someone like Hiro be able to be capable with something like that, you know, just by looking at him. He's real Chad, in my opinion. <laughs> and uh, also, a little lesson here to anyone who plans on uh, piloting with a partner who can get wild, shall we say. Just uh, make sure you know your limits out there. Be safe. Yes. So, after piloting with Zero Two for the first and last time, Mitsuru is laid up in a local medical facility. And uh, he's just like a Fry and Zap Brannigan after a snooze stew. You know, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak and spongy. <laughs> it's, it's just like that. It couldn't have been any more on the nose if he just had like a cast around his entire lower <laughs> yeah. body section. He's got some crutches up and he's like, I had snoo snoo. And I hated every minute of it. <laughs> what snoo snoo does to a motherfucker. <laughs> So Ichigo tries to convince Hiro not to pilot with Zero Two because, again, the rumors and all that, but Hiro won't be swayed, which leads to Ichigo kind of doing the uh, Arthur clenched fist meme. You see that? We're like talking, and that just closes up on her fist, and she's all like, ugh, this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hachi and Nana try to convince Zero Two to stay away from Hiro and Squad 13, as the risk of her piling with him are too great. And Hachi brings up that uh, Zero Two isn't like most girls, as she isn't technically human. But she won't budge on the subject, as she's adamant to pilot with Hiro, or she isn't piloting at all. And Hiro, on the other hand, wants to pilot with Zero Two, but he's also weighing the pros and cons. 
He wants the pilot more than anything and seems to be interested in Zero Two, but he's not stupid and he knows the risks. And I feel this whole conflict early in the series is a good way of like hooking the audience, you know? Like you have Hero who wants the pilot, but shown that despite how good others claim him to be, he's just unable to operate a Franks, and that is until Zero Two comes around who instantly takes a liking to him, and when they pilot the first time, it works out fine. But then we plant the seeds of doubt with the other characters getting over rumors saying like, ah, she's dangerous, she kills her partners. And then we even get to see it firsthand with her injuring Mitsuru. And this all comes to a head with like the next couple of Franks fight where Hero takes the risks piloting with Zero Two, proving others, and especially to himself, that he can do this and won't suffer the same fate as the previous partners, you know? Right, right. It's fine enough setup, although, um, God, is it is the melodrama played real hard <laughs> <laughs> during the, during, like, uh, during this, during so, so early in the series here. <laughs> really, again, it's, it's a little bit of, like, the whiplash compared to, like, the previous uh, Trigger series we've had. Like, wow, you're, you're really, uh, you're really putting the pedal to the metal aren't you here trigger <laughs> really going hard you know it's like uh trigger and uh, cloverworks are like bart and lisa in the back seat talking about the show and then we're marge simpson going like geez kids lighten up a little bit i know that's not, <laughs> that's that's that was kind of my attitude as well yeah. so anyway squad 13 is fighting off an electric razor looking claxosaur like you see this thing here yeah, this this is not a very good design. <laughs> it's a very weird one. Yeah, it's it's a weird one too, and it's one that's weird in a way that we don't really see in many of the Klaxosaurs later. It's it's just odd. And so Zero Two and Hero want to go in and help, but uh, Zero Two has been ordered to leave Plantation Thirteen and report back to the front lines. And uh, seeing Zero Two being taken away, Hero finally makes up his mind and urges her not to leave and become his partner instead. And then Zero Two disobeys her orders and boards Strelitzia with Hero. And uh, I really like the scene of him, like, running back to her, trying to get her back. You know, it's like a bit of a bit of the graduate here, just, like, banging on the glass, you know. Elaine! Elaine! <laughs> Zero Two! <laughs> Mrs. Poovier! Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'll splice it in. Zero Two... What's wrong? It's nothing. Zero two! Don't go! Damn it! Stop! <laughs> Listen to me! Please wait! I was afraid to ride with you, I admit it! Honestly, I'm still kind of afraid. That fear has nothing to do with the fact that you aren't human. It's because I lack resolve. When we met by that lake, I couldn't take my eyes off of you. You looked so strong, so confident. And when you were hurt, you jumped right back in the fight and I found that beautiful. I'd been moping around, but during that time I got to spend with you, I felt like I could fly. And you made me realize I never really cared about riding in a Franks at all. What mattered was riding in one with you. So please, don't leave me! Zero two! Hey, keep moving. How can I leave after that? Two. 
You're the first person to tell me something so embarrassing. It's my first too. Do you want to ride now? I do. Let me hear you say it. Uh. Okay. I want to ride in Strelitzia with you again! <laughs> now that's what I expect from my darling! Fast as you can! Hey! Those two got through the gates! Darling, you don't have permission. Something wrong, darling? What if I can't pilot? What'll happen? You can. We can do this. Well, are you ready? Yeah. It'll be all right. If I'm with Zero Two, I can do this. Now, darling, let's fly! Man, I do like the one line with uh, Zero Two here where she's, we're like, not insane, like, hey, you two get the hell out of that Franks, and she's all like, I'm going out with my darling. So you can't tell me who you can and can't date, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're able to successfully pilot Strelitzia and head into battle, and Hiro has, like, a whopper line here, which I fucking love. He says, and I quote, it's like I'm deep inside you. I can't tell where I end and you begin, but it feels great. Calm the fuck down, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, can I go to Matt Shipman for being able to pull that line off? <laughs> it's so, so silly. But uh, this is the first time we really get to see Hiro and Zero Two fighting together, and it's great to see, like, seeing Hiro with some real confidence, real bounce in his step after being kind of a weenie for the start of the show. And seeing Zero Two generally happy is great too. So, you know, she truly found her darling here. But uh, what do you think of this like big second fight that uh, Hiro and Zero Two have? Uh, honestly, kind of just more of the same first fight. Like it, it's it's like, okay, fine, you you got the decent animation, but um, uh, like where where's the character motivation on the side of the Klaxosaurs? Like I was I was still at this point questioning like, what are the Klaxosaurs? Okay, like you're you're fighting and killing it, but like. Why should I care? <laughs> Again, I had that same disconnect as the first one. Like, it just didn't feel as satisfying. Yeah, yeah, there, there is kind of that in the beginning of the series where you just don't know why they're fighting. You're just like, we just gotta fight and that's it. Also gotta get magma energy. Right, like, again, you're, it's like you're meant to care about, like, the, the couple, like, the, the, part, the two partners uh, finally getting back together and working again. But it's like, it, it was still missing more. I do really like one shot in the fight where, like, uh, as Strelitia is giving the final blow, she's, like, going, like, right through the middle of the Franks, and at one point she passes by uh, Delphinium, the Franks piloted by Ichigo and Goro, and, like, you know, Ichigo's face going, like, yeah, you're here, and then uh, Strelitia just looks and goes, just gives her a side glance, like, yeah, I know, I did this, not you. Right, right. Yeah, that was great. But uh, brings us on to the next episode with, like, uh, the squad witnessing kissing for the first time. 
or as it's presented here, it's when uh, two plantations are stuck together. Uh, <laughs> That's where babies come from. <laughs> okay, so when the plantations connect, it's kissing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in this world, they use, like, old archaic terms for romance for, like, regular technological stuff. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, like, someone just forgot what it was, and they were like, huh, we need, like, a new word for this uh, process here. Connecting? Nah, get that used. Get that lame shit out of here! Nah, we need we a... We are beyond those words. We need a unique term here. Come on, what's some words that haven't been used in, in like, decades and decades? Fucking? No, that's too explicit. Nah, nah. Um, um, uh, uh second base? Nope, no, close, close. First base? Uh, maybe? You're getting there. Bring it back a little bit more. Um... Kissing? There we go! Yeah, we got it! Send it to marketing! <laughs> but basically this kind of kissing is the transfer of magma energy, which is the big fuel source in this world, and then the reason why they fight the Klaxosaurus. Yeah, yeah, magma energy. Like, that's it's just, I don't know, it seems a little, like, too close to home for us a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's like, a little bit. It's, it's not, like, too special or anything, but it's like, eh, whatever. Like, I guess I guess it is an energy, a type of energy source, but it's more the energy that it gives off, not the actual magma itself. Yeah, you know, liquid hot magma. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we also see that because of this and the fact that uh, Squad 13s are the ones on the front lines, they're uh, treated as big heroes as we see the adults, you know, put them on the pedestal saying, like, they're the key to Earth's survival, you know. They're what stands between them and getting the magma energy and the Klaxosaurus. And you think the kids would feel the pressure, but for the most part, they're actually enjoying all this adoration, you know. They fully accept the responsibility and that this is their purpose in their lives. And we'll see later on that it's something that they've been training for their entire lives, so it's the only purpose they've ever known, just getting in these giant fighting robots and fighting these dinosaur monsters. Right. Following morning, Goro notices that Hiro seems unwell, yet he's trying to no-sell it. Well, he may not look at Hiro's feeling like a million bucks right now after successfully piloting with Zero Two for the second time. And it looks like there's nothing to the three times you die rumor, you know, all seems to be well in the world for Hiro. And the rest of the squad are putting him over too. Meanwhile, there's definitely something wrong with Mitsuru that he isn't showing. And he's got to have his pills, you know, just he's stuck in like the greenhouse just going like, just gotta, gotta have my pills, gotta, gotta get my drug fix. <laughs> and this leads to a brief little scene with him and uh, Kokoro as they kind of chat it out for a little bit. Hang on to this for later. And uh, I want to mention like I like little uh, thematic elements with like at least this episode where like uh, as like we get more and more tension with certain characters, we kind of like had a little cutaway like uh, drops of water, like sweat drops and all that stuff, you know, just kind of building and building that tension. Yeah, it works fine enough. It's some sim it's some simple, um, you know, escalation. Yeah, simple yet effective, in my opinion. So later on, we meet Plantation 26's jobbers, I mean, uh, Frank's pilots. Though through them, we learn that apparently having uniquely designed Franks is only exclusive to Squad 13, and also that no old members of Squad 26 have ever grown up to adulthood. It's 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 visual language to say that you don't need to give a fuck about any of these people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, immediately when I saw that, I'm like, you're, you're all gonna die. Yeah. I was like, horribly. come on, Darlene, are you really, like, are you really gonna be like that? Like, like, I know, just looking at these people, they're all gonna, like, just get slaughtered. You know, it's like when you see someone with, with a red shirt in Star Trek to the Next Generation. You I know, know like, die. I was just like, you, you, you people are the red shirts. <laughs> you're the red shirts. You get these boring franks, of course you deserve to die. Like, come on, Darlene. So after that, Goro finds Hiro looking like shit, complete with the with a disgusting blue growth on his chest. You see this thing? Just yeah, he's got like a big old tumor on him. It knows you're afraid. Yep. Hiro is still trying to no-sell despite Goro's protests, and uh, this gets over how Hiro really wants to cling on to his partnership with Zero Two and how desperate he is to pilot. 
you know, it, it kind of makes sense since people have been putting over how he was once a great child prodigy, but as he got older, he started to lose his ability to pilot. And before Zero Two came, he was being sent back down to developmental, but it was at it was basically the end of the road for him. But then he's found his purpose. He has this like new girl, and he's been able to pilot successfully with her. You know, there's a method to his madness. You don't have to agree with it, but you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Yeah, a lot of his motivations uh, at first are coming from a uh, desperation for what he once had. And also you get some uh, tension between uh, Squad 26 and Zero Two, which kind of adds more doubt in her as apparently during a past uh, mission, you know, she got a little too reckless and ended up killing one of the uh, Squad's partners. Mm -hmm. And I feel the series does a good job of building dramatic tension, but I don't know how you feel. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, it's, you know, but again, it's just kind of just repeating over and over again. Like, she kills her partner. She kills her partner. It's like, yeah, we get it, okay? Like, pick pick something else to hate about her. <laughs> hey, did you know that she kills her partners? <laughs> uh, it's it's fine, although I think they kind of beat you over the head a little bit with this. A little bit, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it works. And speaking of dramatic tension, we get some between Zero Two and Ichigo later that night, and I will splice in that scene. I'm not going to say anything about your history with Squad 26. However, I need you to stay in line during the mission. I'm the leader here, and you will follow my orders. Telling me what to do again, huh? You really are, bossy. Hey, wait! I'm not done talking- What? Please, don't push Hiro too hard. Don't forget, my darling said he wanted to ride with me. I know that. But can you at least try to not put such a heavy burden on him? Do you want me to give him to you? You already tried riding with him and it didn't work, remember? You leave me out of this! Then stop putting yourself into this. Are you trying to suck Hiddo dry? My darling belongs to me. He can die out there, you know! If he does, then he didn't amount to much. What they said is true. You aren't human! Human? Human, you say? Let me ask you something then. What is human to you people? Tell me that. You'll catch a cold. Thanks. I had to take care of something. Yeah. Did you see the whole thing? Uh, yeah. I don't know what to do. Not anymore. I'm supposed to be the leader, and he and I go way back. But I couldn't help Hito Pilot. I couldn't. I couldn't stop him. But she's there for him now. And that's what Hito wants. But I... I... Something is wrong with me! Ichigo? I... I hate this! I can't stand it. My 
Ichi. What's this feeling? But uh, what do you think of this confrontation here? This uh, early confrontation between Zero Two and Ichigo? Um, it's it's fine. Like it, like emotionally, it gets over the characters uh, well enough, I suppose. And also, the scene we get the early hint of the crux of Zero Two's character when Ichigo slaps her and calls her out for not being human. She kind of like you know, kind of like triggers something inside of her, like oh, I'm not human. You say right, right. That's a that's a big no no for just that's a big no that's a big no topic. Yeah, for zero don't, two. Don't mention the H word in front of zero two. Yes, and also I it's as early as this where I feel that uh, a good amount of the general audience began to turn on Ichigo, and I'll get more into this later. But I feel her concerns about Hiro and his relationship with zero two are one hundred percent valid, though. Like, after what she's been, uh, what she's seen up to this point, she has every right to doubt Zero Two, and while part of it is brought on by her uh, unrequited feelings for Hiro, but as she says in this scene, she's the leader, so it's her responsibility to look after her teammates, especially Hiro. Also remember, these are just fucking characters in a fictional work, too. <laughs> <laughs> they are not real people doing real things. Fucking Christ. <laughs> and also, lest we forget that a lot of this frustration only was born, like, early in the series before it even fucking finished. <laughs> it's like, chill the fuck out. Like, I'll get into more of this later, but I, I just, I have a bone to pick with those those people who hate on Ichigo for no reason. The big battle is soon upon us, as the following day, Zero Two gives Hiro a chance to back up, but he declines and says he's her partner, and Zero Two is elated at hearing that. And so, we go into the next battle. And you know shit gets real when the OP doesn't play for an episode, you know, that's like, okay, we gotta, we need this extra minute and a half to, like, really get over the story here. Right, right. This is, this is gonna be a big benchmark. As the squad prepares for the fight, we get a little moment between Hiro and Ichigo, and it's a bit awkward between them, but uh, Hiro says he has confidence in Ichigo being able to lead the team to battle, you know, she's got this. And uh, she's about to possibly express her true feelings until uh, Hiro gets distracted when he sees Zero Two, you know, they're like talking right about it as she's about to say it. Zero Two walks, about a, walks out of a door behind her and he's all like, oh, hey, babe, how's it going? And then uh, she's just like, oh, forget it. And she instead says that she's uh, thought of Hiro as a sibling, to which Hiro feels the same exact way. You know, you're like a little sister to me, Ichigo. I've always felt that way about you. Fucking nail in a heart. <laughs> and... <laughs> The fucking face Ichigo made when he said this, honestly, is kind of hilarious. Because <laughs> he says, like, you know, you're like a sibling to me, too. And it cuts to her, and she's all like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> well, bye, Ichigo. <laughs> you can actually pinpoint the second when her heart rips in half. <laughs> and now. Uh, <laughs> like, I love Ichigo, but I bust out laughing anytime I see that. It's pretty great. Just perfect timing. So the battle is on with this big-ass box claxosaur named Target Beta. Like, it's this giant rectangle cube thing with horns jutting out of it. You see this thing? This is fucking dumb. <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is. This is, like, one of the worst designs in the series. <laughs> Alright, guys. We gotta think of a claxosaur design for, like, the big, big battle of the first arc. What should we do? Um, uh, okay. Let's, let's, let's start off simple. Okay, we got a, we got a cube here. Alright. Now, how do we... How do we jazz this up? How do we jizz this up a little bit? Um, horns? Okay, I got it. And what else? Anybody else got something? Boxy design. Okay, okay, okay. We can work with that. Anyone else? Anyone? No? All right. Print it. 
Everyone was probably too hungover that morning. Like, I don't know, man. Fucking mega box with horns or something. <laughs> uh, but it gets even stupider when it transforms, though. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, Squad 26 is on the front lines, aka they gotta be the meat shields for the squad. With their boring, bland franks, while Squad 13 is used as backup, with Strelitzia being used as the last resort. For our first major episode of the series, it's expected we get a bit of a trigger flexing here. Like, this is where we start to see more of the flexing. And uh, Trigger flexes even harder once Strelitzia springs into action, and you can partially credit uh, some of this flexing here with uh, Hiroyuki Imaishi. He was actually uh, help brought in to help us supervise some of the action scenes. Hmm, okay. He's probably like on his break from uh, working on Promare, and they're like, Hey, uh, Imaishi-san, can you bring us, uh, help us out a bit? Can you help us with the action scene here? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, fine. I, that would maybe be a good explanation for um, how much uh, less hard-hitting this felt compared to any of the action I felt in... Uh, Kill a Kill, or even uh, Promare, because I don't know, like something about the action scenes, like that he particularly works on, they they don't feel like his best work. They don't feel like his best work to me. Yeah, I still enjoy, I still enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's fine enough, but it's like I think it's partly all the other um, elements that are kind of disconnecting me from a little bit. The again, it's like the the Klaxosaurs, which we still don't know a whole lot about. Uh, the designs of the robots, which are just you know. Just very strange in their in like their artistic design and like their weapons, which don't really look all that particularly uh, unique or all that cool or anything. You know, it's like it's all it's these other elements that are not like selling it for me. Like they get in the way. Yeah, I, I can understand that, but I don't know. I still dig it. But all this flexing is looking to have a negative effect on Hero, and then things go from bad to worse when we get that uh, transformation. Where uh, the first transformation of two. As Target Beta goes into, like, this humanoid form, kind of makes it look like a Mantar a bit here, where it's got, like, arms and legs, but it's more like a big, it's more like a big, like, uh, kind of looks like a Fall Guys character with horns a bit. A little bit, yeah. So it's all up to Squad 13 now, because Squad thir- 26 uh, live up to their jobber status. <laughs> Down for the count. Yeah, just, like, just, 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 just leave. Let us, let the squad handle it. <sighs> so the plan is for the squad to make an opening for Strelitzia to deliver the final blow. And Hero and Zero Two get their opening and then pierce target beta. Woo! Victory! Wait, where's the kaboom? There's supposed to be a Klaxosaurus shattering kaboom. Oh, it's a third phase boss fight! Yeah, this isn't its final form here. <laughs> As it's now a big... I don't know how to describe this thing here. A giant, like, box on legs that uh, implements a jackhammer-like design. It's literally just a box combined with a jackhammer. That's just, like, starts slamming into its target. Yeah, it's kind of got, like, rockets where it kind of, like, revs up and then unleashes its rockets and then goes for a big punch, and that's it. This looks awful. It's kind of silly looking. Yeah, it's bad. It's not just silly, it's bad. Like, I, I really don't like it. Like, I'll admit, this is probably, like, the weakest design in the entire series. Oh, oh, yeah, by far. It's, like, the worst designed of all the Klaxosaurs in the series. Like, I feel you could have uh, potentially swapped this with the Electric Razor one if you want to have, like, a big, big, at least uniquely designed Klaxosaur uh, for, like, the big opening first act battle. Yeah, it really doesn't work. It's it's silly. It's it's silly, and it's just bad. <laughs> I don't know, and also just the fucking horns. I don't know. <laughs> it just looks like a... It's like you took little, like, devil horns that you get in a costume and you just pop it onto this box. I don't know who thought this would be a cool idea. <laughs> and then it turns into another box. Like, guys, what is with the box binge we're on today? <laughs> Can't you guys think of anything other than boxes? <laughs> it's 
kind of weird coming from the director who did the character design and mech design for Gurren Lagann, you know? Yeah, really? Like, th- really? You thought this was, like, this is your, you really thought this was your best game? I felt like he put more of his effort into, like, the squads, Franks, and, like, some of the other Quaxasaur designs later in the series. Well, yeah, maybe, but, like, even, like, the designs themselves, like, of the main cast, they still look kind of off to me a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know, I think it's, like, all the different angles or something, and, like, the color design on them, it's, they all look a little bit clashing to me a, little, a bit. Mm-hmm. I just, not my favorite, not my favorite uh, robot designs. So despite this uh, silly looking box thing uh, here, but uh, it uh, turns out to be very devastating as it just starts pounding Strelitzia to the point where like uh, it knocks Hiro out and transforms Strelitzia back into its uh, Sogaleo stampede mode and it just keeps pounding it and pounding it into this wall and pretty much, well, they're, all, they're pretty much almost dead here. And it's going to do that for about five minutes. And well, looks like Hiro's fucking dead. <laughs> and that's my story. But uh, no, that's not the end of it here as uh, we get the finish of the fight. And I will splice it in here because I, I really like this, though. Like, I, it's satisfying to see them destroy this fucking stupid thing here. And they do it in a really good way. Huh. I died. Well, at least I did everything I could, right? There you go again, feeling satisfied with giving up like you always do. You aren't even trying to listen to your partner. I didn't give up. This is just as far as I could go. It's not like when you and I separated. Besides, I'm sure Zero Two can keep fighting without me. That's how she's always fought. And you're okay with that? I piloted a Franks to the very end. I got to be of use to everyone. I have no regrets. Liar. Where is this? Zero Two, you came to say goodbye to me? I found a place for myself, and it's all thanks to you that I did. I belonged as a child again, if only for a bit. Hey, wait. Why do you look so sad? alone. If you keep this up, even you will die. What reason do you have to fight so hard? Reason? Maybe because I'm a monster. Is this how it's always been for you? You lose your partner and fight on alone? Can you not fly by yourself either? You need someone too? I'm always alone. Thanks to these horns. wrong with me? Zero Two's suffering and I'm doing nothing. I want to help you. I want to ride with you. And Strelitzia again. My wings... exist for you!
I'm your partner, Zero Two. I won't leave you all alone. are all reading normal. What's going on? Oh? Uh, doctor? It's changing forms again! We can't let it! Don't just stand there, Ichigo! Come on! Now's our chance! It's our turn! Let's give him a hand! Create another opening for Strelitzia! Right! What do you think of the ending to this fight here? Um, still not coming down from like that that previous spot. Like, it, it's it looks it looks fine. It just looks like anything Trigger would like make on a regular like on a regular day. Like, I don't feel like I'm really being wowed again or anything. <laughs> just kind of been there, done that with this. Yeah, that's how I'm kind of feel. That's still where I'm at. I don't know. For me, I felt like uh, the acting, you know, some of the flexing, the culmination of the first Rx uh, story where Hiro breaks the curse, you know, this is the third time he piloted with her and he ended up fine after a bit of a hiccup mid-fight. But uh, I felt this was great and, like, you know, it's, uh, this opening arc, was, I feel, was booked to booked pretty well. I mean, it was a fine enough opening, I suppose. I watched a bit of the commentary for this episode because on the Blu-ray there's a commentary with the English dub cast for this episode. Uh, and in it, uh, Matt Shipman talked about how he uh, watched this episode in the original Japanese and how he was just, as he was watching it, he was just feeling nervous for recording this because of the all the action reacts to this fight. Oh yeah, I imagine. But I feel he knocked it out of the park, and not just this episode, but the rest of the series as well. And also in the same commentary, uh, I want to bring up how uh, Tia Ballard talked about how before the show, she says she wasn't really much of a, you know, screamer in the booth. You know, a lot of her characters don't really scream a whole lot, and she didn't have no experience with it. And she told uh, Cliff Shapen about that, and he told her, well, by the end, you're going to be. <laughs> get used to it. And we get a bit of it here, you know, where, like, uh, Zero Two kind of starts going, like, really beastly at one point, letting out a lot of, like, carnal screams and monster noises here. Mm -hmm. And so, Hero, Zero Two, and the squad have moved past this opening roadblock and are now onto much bigger and grander things. And we close this arc on some kids who will be important later on. 
Alright, so we're at the halfway point of the first part, so we will take a break. We will be right back with the second half of part one. Stay far away from this one, all right? She's not the kind of pistol that just anyone can handle. Heard rumors about her, like how she's never had a partner who's been able to ride with her more than three times. Do you know why that is? Because they don't make it out alive. Alive. I'm all too aware. Flightless bird. A flightless bird has nowhere to go. Come to me, darling. I'm not about to let you do this on your own. I'll pilot that robot with you. And are you prepared to die? If I don't pilot, I'm as good as dead anyway. Right now, I don't belong anywhere. So please, take me with you! You vacate that bridge right now! I can't. I'm going out with my darling. When the male and female factors combine and their hearts become one... Well, are you ready? The Iron Maiden will reveal her true form. get a taste of you. After all, you are now my darling. And uh, before we get into the next thing, uh, I know you wanted to bring up something that I uh, forgot to mention before. Yeah, just uh, with, with the big uh, fight that we had just wrapped up with, um, I, still had a f I still had a few 
questions that were kind of going through my head a little bit. Uh, three in particular. Um, the, the, the infection that uh, our hero here has um, immediately kind of reverses, so it's like, okay, like what was the explanation behind that? I uh, didn't really go into that too much. I was also questioning, um, again, more of the terminology around here. Uh, they described this previous Klaxosaur as a Gutenberg class, and I kept wondering myself, like, why Gutenberg class? Steve Gutenberg? Johannes Gutenberg? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god, no. This. I was also kind of questioning, too, um, this was the last one, but um, where's Naomi in all this? Oh, uh, you know, she uh, went away somewhere. She's injured. She went to she went to live on a farm somewhere. <laughs> or maybe they fridged her. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Ignore her. There there was no Naomi. You were imagining things. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, but uh, after that big battle, we get a little uh, get a little bit of a breather here as we get a beach episode. Uh... Uh, after the success of the last mission, the squad has been rewarded with a beach episode. And we also see that Zero Two and Hiro have been made partners officially. And on top of that, Hiro's gross blue growth is gone now. And now he has a cool scar on his chest in the shape of a four-point star, which is something you see in a lot of uh, trigger anime. Like, I know you see in, like, a Little Witch Academia and also a uh, Keysniver. Yeah, that infection just fucking went away instantly. Yeah, he got better. I, I guess, but, like, they don't really explain it very well. I think maybe, like, in the kayfabe of the world, it's like, you know... The growth is, like, brought on by him partnering with Zero Two, so maybe, like, he just had to, like, kind of accept being able to partner with her, you know, maybe it was something, like, internally with him, and then he just got, like, passed it and over it. I think it's more that he just had to be, like, romantically involved with her first or something. Probably. That's that. what it makes it seem more like. Like, oh, you just had to be, what, physically attracted to her or something? Or emotionally attracted to her? Like... And that makes fucking, like, medical infection go away. Yeah. Maybe, though, the attraction has to be mutual, because I can imagine, like, maybe Zero Two partnering up with someone that is attracted to her, but she's not attracted to them, so that's how they die. It's not very well explained. And again, it never comes up again, either. Not really, no. He just gets the cool scar, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. So, since this is a beach episode, we get the usual things, where the guys notice the girls in their swimsuits and get horny. Though the thing is, they don't know what being horny is, so they just talk about how it's an amazing sight, and they don't know why the girls look 50% cuter in their swimsuits. <laughs> Can I just say right now that, like, the one thing this anime did not need was a beach episode? This feels wrong. <laughs> Come on, man, fun in the sun, you know, after big, big fighting, giant fighting robots, you know? But, like, this is such, like, an anime tropey thing, and, like, they're inserting it into a world that is, like, so... Like, just detracted from anything that is even remotely Japanese or anything. It's like, or like, at least anything pertaining to like, uh, like beach episodes that you typically see in anime. It's like, I feel like this, it feels beneath this kind of anime. <laughs> There's something beneath Darling in the Franks. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going for like the serious tone already. Right, right. So it's like, wow, you're already going to like, a, you're, you're doing this kind of tropey episode. You, you didn't need to. I mean, even in the most serious of anime, you gotta have at least some breather here and there. Yeah, but I didn't really think a beach episode was the kind they needed to do. Though, they did kind of foreshadow beaches, because in, like, the very first episode, like, uh, before Zero Two introduced, was introduced to Hiro, she was, like, on the plane talking about how she wanted to see the ocean. So, and then, lo and behold, we see an ocean right here. Right, I, I guess that's that works fine enough, but I don't know, it's, it, it's still too contrasting. 
Also, I want to mention while the guys are ogling the the other squad girls, uh, I should mention Zorame. Totally an ass man. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, fr- from how his gaze goes. Like, clearly checking out Miku's butt, and apparently, like, he's not the only one, because, like, a lot of the shots of Miku, like, tend to focus on her butt more. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, with her newfound horniness, Zorame, Futoshi, and even Goro want to know what to do with it, as they ask Hiro, since he has the most experience. Okay, so Hiro, um, I noticed our partner is looking pretty nice in their swimsuits, and, uh, feeling a little weird down there. It's a little... A little tight. Can you can you help me out with this, bro? You know? You got any medication for this? Oh, well, um, don't really know how to deal with that. It just kind of comes and goes, you know, but maybe, uh, I did try one thing, you know, I never heard about, I never knew we could do this, but I went into the bathroom after piloting with Zero Two for the second time, and it just kind of, I worked it, I worked it out, shall we say. <laughs> uh, Hiro, can you tell us, tell us how to do it? Uh, maybe later, maybe later. Yeah, but this was also, like, another source of frustration I had for the series. Uh, and it's a problem, I think, comes with, like, some writers, I think. And it's where it's where you're dealing with very sheltered characters who, like, don't understand basic concepts. Especially characters who are in dire need of sex education. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this... It's the it this is the, this is like one of the biggest problems I have with Darlin the Franks starting off with. And it's one that permeates the entire series. It's that characters are not aware of many of these aspects of like their bodies or like attraction or even anything pertaining to like sexuality or gender or anything. And it's this jumping off board that the writers use to constantly like explain away all the all the ways in which the characters misinterpret things. Uh, view things and how they react to other characters. This is one of the first things that I get kind of. It's it goes and it goes even into like our two main characters, Hero and Zero Two, where um, Hero is immediately physically attracted to Zero Two. Like he immediately describes her as like the most beautiful thing he's ever seen in the world. You know, it's like all the everything is like so base here. Like everything is like so hormonal and basic, and it's like. And it's still just kind of, like, and it informs a lot of, like, just rash decisions and like him over the course of the series a little bit. And it constantly has you, like, like second-guessing the character a little bit. Um, it also ties into frustrations when characters are, when, when, again, they're using these, like, old, tired jokes of, like, what's a kiss? What's a kiss? I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, can we kiss right now or something? Yeah, Futoshi's saying, like, wait, you can do more stuff with your mouth than eat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's fat! I mean, it's 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 this like it's this stunting of the characters socially that uh, that the writers use and, in my opinion, abuse to make the characters go in certain ways and act out in certain ways that I feel is just very contrived. I will admit that they do kind of lean into that pretty hard, but I feel like after like the first half of the series, they kind of like move away from that a bit. Mmm, that's because we get into other problems with the series. By the way, the whole kissing thing, I just want to mention I like Zorome trying to kiss Hiro, because he was just like, wait, what's a kiss? Is it feels good? I want to try it. Hiro, bring it out, bring it in. Give me some sugar. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know, I just like the image of Zorome trying to kiss Hiro. Right, right. But, uh, Mitsuru, like you, is clearly done with all these beach episode shenanigans, and he lets the squad know that he's found something interesting nearby. It's an abandoned city! And as they explore the city, they discover a few things is that uh, there's a building that appears similar to the boarding house they live in, almost as if it was used as a model for that. 
Wait, haven't hasn't the plantation been like moving all this time? Yep, it's been moving. So like it, it uh, land it's a uh, stop made camp nearby this place that uh, has the abandoned city, and it landed just in the right place to find the exact place that their home is based on. Yeah, maybe there's like a contractors like designed a bunch of different homes like that, or the this whatever this country is mansions like that contractors building mansions all willy-nilly like that hey man you don't you know how they do with like the mcmansion stuff they just build stuff and forget about it oh my god and also another thing uh kokoro finds interesting is a book all about babies and where they came from hang on to that for later and hang on to this little moment here where mitsuru saves kokoro from falling debris you know two moments between the two that uh, kind of get some interactions here this whole thing is pretty much standard for any kind of post-apocalyptic story, you know. You gotta find a have it. Gotta have a scene where the characters find the old ruins and see the stuff of the past, and they go, "What? What was life like before? Before the apocalypse?" I was at least appreciating it because at least it was giving us some fucking world building, <laughs> and also taken away from the beach episode stuff. Like, I do appreciate that they didn't go hard on that, and like, you know, they just had their fun for the first half of the episode, and then they're just like, "Okay, let's get some world building in here," and like, kind of like. Flesh things out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. But I, I will say it is nice seeing the squad bond outside of fights, and I will bring this up more. Like, I love seeing the characters, you know, come together outside of fighting robots and stuff like that. Although Zoramir was really chummy, given how, like, crappy he was towards Hero before. Yeah, you know, after Hero kind of, like, proved himself in the previous battle, he's all like, you know what, man, you're a bro. I like you. <laughs> Maybe. Though I tell you who isn't chummy, Mitsuru, because he's still kind of a dick at this point. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and this episode closes on Hero and Ichigo having a nice moment. I couldn't sleep for some reason. Yeah, same. It felt like it'd be a waste to fall asleep. <laughs> oh, look up, Hiro! You can see so many stars! Wow, you're right. Hey, there's Orion! In the past, Orion was considered the most prominent winter constellation. Really? Back when we were little, you'd tell me about the stars all the time. Did I? Yeah, you did! I might be stupid, but I still remember everything you taught me growing up, Hiro. <laughs> so did you forget about that star, too? You mean the Ichigo star? Huh? The 15th of Orion, same as your code number. I read in a book once that it's so dim, it can be difficult to spot with the naked eye, which is why we can't see it now. But we promised we'd see it together one day, after leaving the garden. What the heck? So you do remember just fine! <laughs> we can look for the star again sometime. I mean, we are gonna be fighting on the same team from now on. That's true. I know that earlier, I acted all bossy and told you to be prepared. But the rest of us are going to have to step up and do our best, too. You know, I'm going to try my hardest as leader. So don't give all your attention to Zero, too. Look at me from time to time as well. Also... About our kiss during the mock battle, I see it as something special. And... I... want to be Ichigo, with you look! Shooting stars! With their long tails, the shooting stars blazed a trail across the sky. Drawn in by gravity, those stars were shining so brightly, just like us. And the light they gave off looked to me like gentle rays of hope. They say if you make a wish on a shooting star, it'll come true. 
So what would you wish for? I was trying to tell you before. Uh. <laughs> Stupid Hito. Uh, hey, what the heck? <laughs> that night, I wished on the shooting stars for that light to never, ever fade. And it's very sweet, but there's some part of me that's just screaming, Ichigo, just just stop simping for Hiro here. <laughs> it's, he's not that into you, I'm sorry. Like, please. Well, uh, again, going back to my previous problem, she's not very emotionally developed. So the writers can use that lack of emotional development for why she is simping so hard for Hiro. I'm going to be going back to this. <laughs> you thought it was over? No. I have a point to make. <laughs> oh, do you know what isn't over? More hijinks. Oh. As we got uh, fan service hijinks here. As uh, the girls get into a fallout with the boys after a battle where the girls' clothes were destroyed by enemy Klaxosaur acid, much to the boys' enjoyment and the girls' dismay. So, like, you know, they're fighting a bunch of Klaxosaurs, uh, acid, it, like, seeps in through their franks, and then uh, they kind of seep kind of eat away at their uniforms here. Uh, they're getting naked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Zorame and Futoshi didn't want to say anything so they can just perv on their partners a bit, but Hiro, being a good boy, had to let them know they're being exposed. Good boy, Hiro. <sighs> and then... <laughs> you, knew this, you knew I was going to hate this. Oh, I do. I knew, like, when this episode aired initially, I saw a lot of the hate online for it, and I'm just like, yeah, I know you're not going to like this one. Yeah, because this, this right here is one of the worst episodes of the show. This whole situation turns into an episode of I Love Lucy, where, like, the girls tape off half the house and make one side theirs and the other side the boys. It's, like, not enough that, like, the beach episode felt out of place in a show like this. Now they're doing, like, odd couple shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're taping off and sectioning off parts of the mansion so that there's a boy side and a girl side? What are you, a fucking American cartoon or something? This is a trope episode. Yeah, yeah. I love Lucy. Men are messy. The episode where, like, Ricky's, like, too dirty and then Lucy's all like, okay, I'm taping off half the house. You clean your half. I'll clean my half. It's like, come on. So many works have done this already in single episodes. You're really, It's like you're really going to debase yourself and, like, repeat that again. And they don't even do anything original with it either. Nah, not really. They kind of hit sort of the same beats with, like, any other show. Oh, we sectioned off parts of the house that we need. Now the boys have the, have the kitchen and stuff, and the girls can't, like, get anything in there. Ooh. Which was the same issue for the uh, Lucy episode. Yes, exactly! <laughs> you know, since Miku is leading this operation, I bet she got the idea from the ghost of Lucy. You know, she's just, like, at night, and then she's like, well, who are you? He's like, Lucy McGillicuddy Ricardo Carmichael. I don't even know where you're from. I think there's some more. Blake, I'm here to help you get back at those bozos. <laughs> you mean like hide in the drum and scare them? Hey, stay away from the drum bit. That's my bit. It's it's about as well explained as that like gag from the original episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Though I feel Mika was too fair to the boys in here. She should have just taken the whole house and made the boys sleep in the yard. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Make them camp outside. Yeah. Hey, they don't mind it. They love like bathing in the lake, as we see in one scene. Mm. The in yeah, this whole episode is super fucking cliche, but I had some fun with it. No, I did not. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, this episode's full of like great Miku facial expressions, which I think were great. This can be a fun episode if you have characters that you already like and respect from the beginning. But I like the characters and respect them. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, where did they even get this idea? Were they just fucking watching, like, old world tapes and they just get this idea? It's like, they're not fucking emotionally developed enough to, like, even talk to each other, but they, like, know this, like, really cliched, like, episode. Like I said, Miku was visited by the ghost of Lucille Ball and she gave her the idea. It's fucking dumb. (laughs) And, like, since this is technically, like, a Miku spotlight episode, it, like, only makes sense for her to get some time to shine, though I wish there was more of that, and I do actually have a point on this later. Though, this episode is completely devoid of some plot stuff, such as Kokoro and Mitsuru's little talk in the greenhouse where he finds out about the baby book. And also, there's, like, a scene where, uh, where, uh, Zero Two kind of pulls, uh, Bruno Bucciarati on Ikuno, where, you know, this is the salty tang of someone who's lo- who has a secret Ikuno. Yeah, because she has, like, a, like, a weird gimmick early on in the series that, um, doesn't, that they kind of, like, forget later on, where she, uh, has a bit of a sweet tooth. And she also tastes things in other people to get a sense for them. It's very odd, uh, very alien. Yeah, you know, maybe that's what they're going for. She's not, she's not quite human, even though she wants to be human. Yeah, I guess it works fine enough. Although, again, it's like you, it's, it's, it's for creating like awkward, like awkward, uh, semi-sexually charged situations, much like how Bruno was with Jorno. <laughs> I don't know, but between the two scenes, I feel like uh, Bruno and Jornos was, like, way more sexually charged. Yes, with uh, way more uh, passion and romance there yeah, as well. more intensity, too. Like, here, Zero Two is just, like, getting licked by Zero Two is kind of like getting a lick from your cat. Or or just being licked by another human being. <laughs> oh, that's <is> fucking weird. <laughs> so, as all of this is going on, Zero Two is just ignoring all the fighting altogether and willingly crosses back and forth to get close to Hero and even feigns joining along with the girls to set up a trap for the boys. We get, like, a scene here where, like, uh, Zero Two has a plan where she's all like, oh, hey, the bath is open for you boys. You can go on in. And then they go on in. But it turns out the girls are already using it. Uh, This is basically the same bathhouse scene from Persona 4. It is exactly that. It's exactly that. It's not original at all. (laughs) But, like, come on. You gotta have fun with, like, Zero Two just, like, not giving a fuck about this and just, like, playing around with both sides. Well, yeah, that was fine. Like, it leads to, like, some rambunctious animation where she's, like, running around with, like, the people's clothing and whatnot. Which was great. I like that. Yeah, it looked nice. You know, she just wanted to have a real human fight and, like, and, like I said, the the little chase with Hiro was pretty cute and well animated. Yeah. But, yeah, they all decide to just end this petty feud, but uh, Miku's not budging just yet as she runs off into an abandoned, closed-off part of the house. The rest of the squad gets worried and they look for her until they find her in one of the sealed off rooms in the dorm, where they discover items relating to the previous members of Squad 13, which were possibly killed in battle a long time ago. So, like, just like the staff of Ludanova, the adults in this world seem to have no problem just leaving abandoned shit just lying around. <laughs> like, come on, don't you, like, hire a janitor here, or do you not have, like, someone, you don't have an adult janitor? They closed it off with a uh, do not enter tape. Yeah, but when has that ever stopped anyone? Yeah, that can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> Afterwards, they all kiss and make up, and it's all well and good, though there is a, there is one moment in like this apology scene that I kind of really got a kick out of, where Zora May apologizes to Miku and promises not to leer at her anymore, and she replies with this line, and I quote, You'll try and fail. I'm too cute for you not to leer at me. Like, I kind of got a real kick out of that line just because I love the delivery here. Like, it's, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's, it's very seems... subtle, but but if you pay attention to her tone, you can kind of hear that uh, Bryn April was smiling when she said that line, implying that Miku was meant to be smiling because you can't really see her face and her back is turned. Right. It seemed like some hot shot shit. She would say. Yeah, it's like. But uh, God, this this was a mess. Of, this was a bad episode. <laughs> 
Did you, by the way, did you also forget that like in the uh, opening fight there was a track, a music track that actually had like rap lyrics like very faintly put into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that and was like, "What? Like this feels like Ger- like a Gurren Lagan track and not even a very good one." Do the impossible, see the invisible. Row, row, fight, bow. And the the, the, the lyrics were even shittier. They were, like, <laughs> shitty, though. <laughs> they were not good. And it's like, the track never appears in the rest of the series. Yeah. I looked around and I couldn't really hear it. I'm like, why was this dropped here? Hey, man, you gotta sell that OST somehow. Ah, oh, it was... Ah, oh, I was so confused. <laughs> Where's the rest of the rap music? <laughs> Why did you think that was a good idea? <laughs> Do the impossible, see the invisible. Uh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> so, they all make peace, except for Mitsuru, because once again, he's being a dick and has no time for this. And they let bygones be bygones and decide to work together again, since they don't want to end up super dead like the previous squad. And yeah, I I totally get where you're coming from with this episode, and I totally get why pe- most people hate it, but... I had fun. It's fine. I mean, I guess. <laughs> like, if you get if, it, if that's your fancy. Though, I will admit, this is definitely a waste of a Miku-centered episode. Yeah, like, you kind of forget that, like, like Miku doesn't even feel like it's at the center, either. No, like, she's the one who does the plan, and, like, she, you know, she has, like, some big scenes where she's kind of leading the girls, and also the big facial expressions, which I literally they, like. They hint that, like, she's kind of, like, going to be the center of the episode, but then they just, like, drop it completely. Then it's just, it's more like an ensemble episode where, like, it's yeah. just everyone. Yeah, it's, like, I, I really don't know what they were going with there. And this kind of leads into, like, after the first uh, first arc, we kind of get, like, these spotlight episodes with certain characters. So, like, the rest of the cast gets to shine, but, like, this is Miku's chance, and, like, it's kind of it's kind of nothing and all. Yeah, but, like, they, they know how to handle some other characters later on, like, a little bit better, at least, at least in keeping the focus on them. So it was so weird to me how they, like, were going for this, but then, like, completely fumbled like in the, in the in the execution. Yeah, I'll, I'll have I'll have more to say about that with another episode coming in later on. Mm. So after that, Goro and Ichigo th- get the spotlight this time around, as it's the one time of year where the squad gets presents from Papa, which means Squad Thirteen, it's your birthday! Happy birthday, Squad Thirteen, <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's like a post post apocalyptic holiday that's going on here. Non nondescript age changing holiday. <laughs> Happy one year around the earth, kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we get to see some of the presents here, you know, and I like I like Ichigo getting the dolls. I think it's cu- kind of cute. You know, she's meant to be kind of serious, but she's kind of got a little soft side here. Well, well, toys for, like, the kids who don't really, you know, know anything about, like, adult life or anything or don't have any interests beyond what the adults outside have really dictated for them. And also, Hiro gets, like, a bird book, which says, you're two mixed mistakes for a picture book. Huh. Picture book, eh? <laughs> but afterwards, Hiro gives Zero to a gift she, she didn't get anything and he didn't want her to feel left out. And he gives her a hand mirror, which she absolutely loves. You know, just checking herself out, going, hey, good looking. How you doing? Mm. To these people, it's probably a novelty. Yeah. <laughs> and all this gift giving is making Goro remember his Hiro and Ichigo's childhood, where he wanted to give Ichigo a hair clip, but Hiro beat him to the punch. And it's a hair clip that he still has to this very day. With all this, uh, along with some of the earlier hints in some previous episodes, with you know some social cues with uh, Goro and Ichigo, especially like after uh, Ichigo's scene with Zero Two, where he's trying to like comfort her, but he doesn't know like how he's feeling in the moment. Goro comes to terms with his feelings. His feelings for Ichigo, to be specific, as he realizes that what being in love means, and that he truly feels this way about her, and always had. Figured that part out pretty easily, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the scene. He's all like, "Yeah, I'm in love with Ichigo." <sighs> Feels good to get that off my chest. 
Wow, you fucking learned Cal caught on pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, you know, these are some smart kids. They might may not know about well, it. Well, he's can... he in particular is one of the smarter ones. Oh, yeah. One of the definitely. more perceptive ones. Yeah, he is. And it's like, yeah, okay, he's definitely more uh, mature than the other ones, but... Wow, he caught on to that love thing real quickly. Like, oh, this is what a love is. I'm going to apply it. I want to know what love is. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, clearly he knows, and... Uh, yeah, he kind of figures this out pretty <laughs> easily. Well, it's like, I kind of like how nonchalant he is about like being in love with Ichigo. Just like, yep, I love her. Anyway, good night, bro. Though he's accepted that his feelings are one-sided, since it's clear that uh, Ichigo likes Hiro, which Hiro, being super dense, didn't notice that she liked him. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, he didn't know what love was until Zero Two showed up. Right, he's, he's stupid about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> so, I love you, Hiro, though. So the next day, the squad is dispatched to take down another Gutenberg-class Claxosaur. There's that word again. (laughs) During the battle, Delphinium is caught by the enemy, and Goro ejects Ichigo to save her, but becomes trapped inside the creature while the others are ordered to retreat. And uh, just imagine, like, uh, this whole thing where, like, uh, you're caught inside of an enemy, and you're, like, kind of isolated while you're slowly dying from the inside. Wasn't this an episode of Ava? Yeah, this kind of was, actually. <laughs> They're mining the past way too hard here. Yeah, like, I'll ask this now. Like, since there's more than this throughout the entire series, how do you feel about them kind of, like, referencing Ava or, like, other mech anime throughout this entire series? I mean, I didn't see it as often in the series. Yeah. I will give Darling in this this credit. I do think it distinguishes, it distinguishes itself just enough from Evangelion. Uh, a lot in many ways, I think. Of course, not in many ways I actually like or anything, or that are quite effective. You know, because again, it's like, okay, like, whatever. Like, you're making another mecha anime about horny teenagers. Like, fine. Like, anyone can do that. Like, so long as it's good. So long as you make it your own. So long as you do something original. I don't know. I guess I personally didn't catch on too much to the... Uh, to what they were referencing here. I was like, okay, fine enough. Like, uh, you're doing your own thing with, like, your characters. Because, again, like, if you can get the characters over, just fine. It's like, whatever, steal if you want. Like, go ahead. Okay. And do you think they're just paying homage, or is it just straight up ripping off? Um, Like, not just with this, but with, like, other, like, references throughout the entire series? I don't think they have the smarts or forethought to do anything like that, to pay homage or even to rip off. I think they literally just thought, like, they were doing something cool and original. <laughs> I don't think, I don't, like, I don't think they're criminal masterminds here, <laughs> as far as writers go. <laughs> you, you don't give them that much credit? No, I think, I think they were just like, oh, what if uh, someone got stuck inside a Klaxosaur? Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, didn't is someone do like that, do something like that before? Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there something called Neon Genesis Evangelion? Evan what now? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they make it their own just enough. Okay, because I remember this was, like, a big sticking point for, like, some of the people who, like, don't like this show. They feel like uh, a lot of these references were just straight-up rip-offs, which I didn't really see it that way. I thought there was just more, like, simple just nods and homages because, like, it's not the only show that does this. Like, plenty of other, like, mech anime does make homages and references to, like, Ava or Gurren or whatever. I honestly didn't catch any of it. Like, I was completely det- detached from that. It was, like, one of those complaints that you would never think about unless, like, some asshole just, like, complained about. You know, an asshole who spends every weekend watching End of Ava. Right, right. Like, someone who obsesses way too much over that. Like, I did not sense any of that in the series. I think Darling does its own thing just well enough. Yeah, because outside of the Ava references, there's, like, stuff to, like, I think a show called, like, Die Buster or whatever. Like, it's usually, like, 
references to like old, you know, boomer anime stuff that we probably haven't seen or will ever see. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's again, like I can understand if like you just get if you like you're just way too oversaturated to yeah. like horny teenagers and mech or like no teenagers and mecha stories. Then in that regard, maybe, yeah, you would pick up on more things, but, like, even for me, who's, like, you know, seen a decent n- number of mecha anime, I'm like, eh, whatever, like, they're they're doing, a, 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 like, enough here to distinguish them from the others. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, it just, like, it would make sense for a series to, like, pay tribute to, like, the older mecha anime that paved the way for shows like them, you know, they're just, like, honoring the past, I would think. Right. And Trigger's no stranger to stuff like this, like, look at our previous podcast episodes where we talk about how much they reference Gurren. I mean, although in that regard, I don't think, I think even if they do try to pay homage to anything in the series, even when they, even if they do conceivably try, I don't think it's very successful. (laughs) But, um, I guess that gets into, um, more stuff later on. Right, right. Anyway, the squad gets in contact with Goro, and I do like when Ichigo gets on the line with him, he just starts smiling, even though she's just giving out to him, going like, you fucking idiot, why did you leave me? We should have been here there together. But, you know, Goro's just happy to, like, hear her voice, and he just she, he's just happy to know that she just still really cares much for him. Goro assures everyone that he has a plan to kill the Klaxosaur, and the others then decide to fight the enemy again, and Ichigo insists on coming with them, fearing for Goro's safety. And we get a little flashback to little babby Goro and Ichigo, you know, how about how he's loved her ever since, and, you know, he grew up with, like, a bunch of kids, like, kind of looking down on him, comparing him to Hiro, and he's trying to start fights, you know. But then she, like, helps him out with some of these fights, too, saying, like, hey, we need to work together, man. Then he sees her look at Hiro, giving her, giving him all the googly eyes, and he's all like, "Oh, I gotta, gotta work with this guy too." But you know, he's a bro, so he's he cares about Hiro too. Yeah. Just as Goro is about to activate the self-destruct sequence to Definium's energy tank, sacrificing himself to destroy the enemy core, Ichigo dives into the creature and reaches him, allowing Delphinium to escape to a safe distance as the energy tank destroys the creature. And all's well that ends well as Goro finally gives Ichigo the hair clip he always wanted to give her and finally confesses his feelings for her. And while Ichigo is still simping for Hiro, Goro is fine with simping for her. You know, we can both be simps for each other. I'll admit that was that was a good episode. Yeah, you you, you get one in your, in your book. That's plus one. Maybe two. Maybe two. <laughs> Later on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Like well, that was that was fine. Like that was that was that was that was all right. That was good. This is very sweet now, and you know I like that they're building up. You know, it's obvious that Ichigo isn't going to end up with Hiro, so it's like they're kind of building up someone that's going to be there for her. You know, someone that she can be with, and that's someone that she does kind of like, just not as much as Hiro at this point. Right. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Mm-hmm, but it's still sweet. But after that, we have uh, Hobo. I think this is. Yeah, I think this is the episode where I have a bit of a problem with here. Oh, okay. You know, I've, I've been mostly positive and probably will be positive for most of this, but uh, this is a point where I kind of have to turn it around a little bit. Oh, I didn't know if there, I didn't think there was even going to be this point. Oh, yeah, just you wait. Just mm. you wait, I'm getting into it. <laughs> so, the Seven Sages decide to reward the members of Squad 13 for their numerous victories against the Klaxosaurs, and they are briefly allowed into the city to be awarded medals. Sorme is excited about this since this means he gets to visit the city and gets to be around adults because throughout this entire series he's been putting over how adults are amazing and how he wants to be one when he grows up. And uh, during the ceremony we do get a fun little moment as they're getting their medals and the adults commend Ichigo for being a great team leader and she accepts this by just shouting every line she has. She's all like, thank you very much sir, it's an honor, thank you so much! <laughs> Doesn't go- deal well with the pressure I guess. Yeah, but then again, like, if you're being honored and by like these, by kind of like 
adults who are kind of seen as like very like you know godheads godhead yeah holier than thou sort of thing yeah because we haven't really touched upon this yet but like the leaders of this world are um very secretive uh, they're like this they're i mean yeah they are kind of like the cease or whatever yeah. like the the ta- like sele yeah or sele sele from uh neon genesis where like they're, they're just these like uh, unknown figures that are talking behind uh, masks of some kind. You know, this uh, league of shadowy figures here. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, very distant, very secretive, clearly have their own goals. Um, they, it's y- y- Again, you, you immediately don't trust them. Yeah, but the kids look up to them and they kind of see them. Right, in this like, world, everyone important. looks up to them like fucking gods. So, you know, they're the re- with it. You know, the kids see them as the reason for why they are here. You know, without them, then they wouldn't be here. Right. And, like, they keep the whole world moving. Yeah. But the ceremony is short and sweet. But on the way back, Zorme drifts away from the rest and then falls down after seeing one of the few residents as he tries to call out for them. When Zorome awakes, he is greeted by the woman who saved him, and he questions her about adult life. And her life seems kind of worlds away from his experiences, as it's implied that, uh, you know, parasites, they don't really become adults based on the earlier conversations with uh, Squad 26. And also, uh, apparently, uh, adults and uh, children have, like, different physiology in this world. You know, like, uh, when she was kind of, like, uh, running diagnostics for, like, Zorome's injuries, she had to, like, set it to, like, an animal setting to, like, check and see if he's, like, see if he's okay. Yeah... And then there's a moment where they start talking about their partners, and the woman introduces Zorome to her partner, a man uh, sleeping in an oxygen tank when she believes gives him sexual powers. <laughs> Though I feel it's like, uh, kind of reminds you a bit of, uh, since we've been watching, we've been starting uh, Venture Brothers recently, it kind of reminds you of the, the Joy Can from that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit like that, because like, you, you place a person inside, and um, basically the pleasure centers of their brain are just activated, and uh, they can experience whatever... It's sort of like virtual reality, where, like, they just experience any joy they want in the world. Yeah. Or dream about it. Yeah, and, like, Zorme just notices him having, like, this really creepy, shitty grin, and the woman's all like, ah, he's having a nice dream here. Secretly, he's just hard inside there. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's like the Star Wars holiday special, you know, when, uh, Itchy is dreaming of, like, that one woman, and he's all like, (laughs) (laughs) So they continue to talk, and Zorme can't shake the feeling that he knows this woman, but she immediately denies it. Soon after, Zorame gets picked up by the authorities and is taken back home. He spends the following days wondering why the woman was so familiar to him, but immersed in his activities, his memories of her generally fades. And like I said, I've been mostly positive for this series up until this point, and will be for most of the series going on after this point. But honestly, this episode here... This is my most hated episode of the series. Yeah, I can see why, because this goes nowhere. I fucking hate this episode because it sets up some things raises some important questions about this world and my boy my fucking boy zorome is the focus you think i'd love it but no it sucks none of this matters yeah the point about like her recognizing him both of them feeling like familiar with each other never comes up again the people who live inside the plantations and like what their lives are like really doesn't come up again i mean the cities i mean the people who live in the cities doesn't come up again uh the people who live in the pods never comes up again this lady never comes up again. we never see her again the, yeah like the everything everything in this episode is completely dropped for the rest of the series like this connection because like okay obviously it seems like she's his mother like she gave birth to him and then that's why they're so familiar and why he recognizes her but like never brought up again that's it just move on yeah and it's something that didn't really become apparent until you had watched the entire series <laughs> yeah because when i first watched this episode 
like I I read I heard the plot synopsis for this uh, going forward because I saw like a little next episode preview and I'm just like oh this could be good and, and you, you would think so because there's a lot of world building in it yeah and again Zorome my boy he's like he gets his spotlight episode and when I watched this the first time I thought like okay this is pretty good I can't wait to see where this goes and then as the weeks went on I was just like okay when when's the payoff when's the payoff are we getting to the payoff oh god is that woman dead we're never getting to the payoff. Oh my god, that was a waste of time. Oh. oh. <laughs> like, damn! Now that you mention it, this may actually be this may actually be the worst episode yeah, of the series. You might hate this more than uh, Boys vs Girls. <laughs> actually, yeah, this is actually the worst episode of the series. Yeah, because it goes nowhere. Because, like, even with Boys vs Girls, you can admit like the stuff with Zero Two was a bit fun here and there. Like that, it's a bit of a high point. But here, there's no high point in this. No, not really. But like, well. Really, only in pers- in retrospective, in retrospect, yeah. though, because upon looking at the whole series, you look back and you realize there is no point to this episode. You could have taken out taken it out completely, and everything would have been fine. Yeah, like the, there's only like some things that are kind of worth something in this episode, and that's just the, the subtle hints of like something going on with Zero Two. Actually, he's kind of being a bit more distant after the after the big fight. But you could have fit that in another episode, too. and they do. Yeah, exactly, they do. And, like, you know, he had, like, the final shot where she's, like, looking in the, her, in the mirror, and then she kind of, like, lifts her uh, lip up a bit, and she's got, like, fangs growing. Like, that's interesting, but you could have put it that in another episode. You didn't need to be in this episode. Yes, exactly. This is the most pointless episode of Darling. And, like, uh, have you ever had, like, this experience where, like, you're rewatching an old series, and you really like it, but there's always, like, that one episode where you're just like, you know what, I don't need to watch this, I'm skipping that. That's, oh, yeah. That's this for this episode. Like, anytime I rewatch Darling in the Franks, I always skip this episode. Yeah, no point whatsoever. Like, I had to watch this for the podcast, and I just hated every minute of it. No, because I knew like this means nothing. Yeah, it's 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 not often we find a show where there there is that kind of episode. You know, it's like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It don't matter. It, it none of this matters. <laughs> and you know, like with the Miku episode earlier, this is a big waste of a Zorme episode. Yeah, neither neither either really work well with the character they're given. Such a shame because I kind of like their dynamic from what we've seen. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they're they're both kind of bratty, in my opinion. That's what makes them great. I mean, <laughs> again, like, they're both not emotionally very mature or, like, complex beyond that, though. It's like, we had two episodes where they could have been made more, more complex, but fell flat. So it's like, by this point, I'm not really caring about either of these characters. Uh, so, moving on from after that, we have, uh, get a bit of a spotlight for Mitsuru and some other parasites here. As uh, Mitsuru's feeling like shit. As, you know, the, the effects of uh, piling with Zero Two, among other things, are just, like, really taking its toll on him. So the squad guards one of the facilities for the top-secret S-planning, during which Futoshi and Kokoro have a sweet moment where Futoshi bashfully asks Kokoro if they'll be partners for the rest of forever, and she promises him. You know, we'll always be together. Always? Always. No? Yes! But uh, the battle is on until suddenly Mitsuru collapses in the middle of the fight. As he is treated, it is revealed he underwent a dangerous procedure with only 15% of the survival rate to become a parasite when he was a child. He's got the child fever. Child fever? <laughs> no, a fever only for children. Come on. I guess. <laughs> as he's resting, Mitsuru is having flashbacks to when he was a little babby following Hiro. And it turns out when they were kids, Mitsuru and Hiro were pretty close until one day they weren't. And that's why Mitsuru's been such a dick for most of his life. And also, and due to Mitsuru's incompatibility with Ikuno, Nana asks the parasites if they want to switch partners, you know, because of, like, all that's going on. She's just all like, okay, maybe we need a change of pace here, you know. Why don't you guys switch here? 
And during this time, there's a moment where Ikuno asks if it would be possible if she could pilot with Ichigo, you know, claiming that it's like in case like uh, you need to do a pistol to pistol thing. But unfortunately, yeah, the Franks don't work that way. And remember that one for later. Yeah, like, and it's and it's like a moment. It was like one of those moments where it was like, oh, same sex like connection or something right here, and like it doesn't and like it doesn't work. And they just drop it for the rest of the episode. I'm like, is anyone gonna question this? Like, in universe. Like that that in un really like in universe with like the in universe logic, that has got to seem like out of the ordinary, right? Like no, doing trying for something that everyone already knows is not going to work and stuff. I mean, Ikuno does like kayfabe explain it, saying like you know in the heat of battle, if it's like, used as a last resort, if both stamen are knocked out, we need to do try to see if we can do it. But they state in the universe that they don't work unless you have a male and a female inside them. But have they tried that? arguably yes if they know that like if they know that already but do the kids know that well they would have been told by the adults but would they believe them but like wouldn't they then question like Ikuno afterwards like hey Ikuno is there something you want to talk about or something like but then she tells you, seemed, you seemed kind of like avid to try and do that but then she tells him ah don't worry about it yeah, she just, they, they just drop it, though. Like, <laughs> I felt like this could have been, like, an Ikuno episode, and it seems like it's kind of going for that, but then they drop it completely. Nah, you gotta wait till later for her thing. Ugh, God. <laughs> I know. So while the other kids want to stay with their partners, it's Kokoro that offers to pilot with Mitsuru, breaking her promise with Futoshi. Uh-oh, trouble in paradise. And as it turns out, Mitsuru and Kokoro can sync up pretty well, and this sends Futoshi into a spiraling pit of despair. He's just, this poor guy is just shit on for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, like, you kind of can't blame him. Like, they it seemed like him and Kokoro were getting on pretty well, especially with, like, some earlier scenes where, like, they were kind of eating breakfast together and all that. Yeah, it comes in, like, not very well. Like, they don't talk very, they don't have Kokoro talk very much in this episode about her motivations behind it. Like, she just kind of felt like it. Yeah, and... Honestly, I will agree with you on that one. It's like, it's like the it's way like, they handled this. Can, can you talk a little bit more about like why you want to? Just just fucking say the guy's creepy or something. Like he's a simp or something. Like you can say that. I mean, it's kind of implied. Like it's implied, but it's like it doesn't like come off like very well or anything. It feels very out of character for her. I feel like they should have like you know during the promise scene where like she like you know he promised he asked her like hey do you promise to be my partner forever and she's all like yeah sure. Like, I feel like if they wanted to get that across better, they, she, they should have, like, animated her going, like, oh, uh, um, yeah, sure, like, have her ha hesitate. Yeah, have her hesitate or something, or maybe be like, um, uh, well, uh, oh, we gotta get in our machines, like, gotta go, <laughs> and, like, blow it up for, like, a little bit or something. Like, she's, in, like, she doesn't want to, like, it's an uncomfortable subject for her. And then you can reveal later, like, then it would fit, but, like... No, it kind of just seems like she just, like, like lied to him, you know? Yeah, like, and yeah, like, you're not wrong about this criticism. Like, I had the same thing when I first watched this. I'm just like, wait, like, you were totally fine, but now you're not? Yeah, and even when she explains herself later on, it, like, she doesn't, actually. <laughs> Non-explanation. She's just like, I betrayed somebody as well, so, like, and, like, even if she just said, like, she just wanted to be there for Mitsuru or something, because he's going through a shitty time or something. Yeah. They don't do, they don't say anything, like, in that regard. They don't imply it very well through body language, either. You know, just have her come out and say, that's okay, boys, you can both pilot with me. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, when a massive Klaxosaur appears, the squad dispatch with Mitsuru and Kokoro piloting Janesta and Futoshi piloting Chlorophytum with Ikuno. 
And also one thing I want to bring up, like, Ikano had problems piloting Chlorophytum with uh, Mitsuru, but uh, when she starts piloting with Futoshi, she's kind of totally fine. Yeah, they're like, well, well, you know, some of them are on better terms in, like, some regards, you know, so mm -hmm. it would make sense that some would link up better. I guess. Still, it just seems like it wasn't really brought up, especially with something that happens later on with her. Right, right. I, I, You do make a good point now that I realize that they haven't really interacted meaningfully until this point, so you're kind of wondering, like, oh, how are they going to fare? Oh, just fine? Uh, okay, you're. are we going to explore that in this episode, too? Mm. Oh, okay. So during the battle, the squad decides to use Genesta's close-range attack to uh, open up a break for them, but they can't reach the core. Also, Zero Two's been getting a little bit more intense with her fighting, like something's seriously up with her. Genesta gets put down for the count, and Mitsuru gives up at this point. He doesn't see the point in fighting anymore, and he just can't shake the feeling disheartened about Hiro forgetting about the promise he made to him in the past, that they would pilot Franks together. You know, they made a promise, sort of like uh, the one Kokoro made with Futoshi, but uh, Hiro forgot about it one day, and Mitsuru holds a grudge for that. And, uh, you notice how, uh, Kokoro tries to cheer up, uh, Mitsuru by saying, uh, I believe in you, so why don't you try to believe in me too? So what you're saying is, to believe in the me that believes in you, Trigger makes a reference to Gurren Lagan again, take a shot! Uh, it's, I didn't see it, to be honest. I really didn't. I don't know, I clearly saw it. Like, uh, I, I don't think it was a reference, to be honest. Again, I don't think, like, they were really, like, big on the references for the series. I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was. Like, I'm... I think for the most part, they were trying to do their own thing. I don't know, it's, it's too specific of a line to do, to make. Mmm, I don't know, it's, I think you could argue, argue either way, but, I don't know. Like, I remember when the episode, when the dub of this episode, uh, came out, I tweeted at, uh, Jeannie Serato, like, oh man, a girl reference here, and she's all like, yeah, I noticed that too. Mm, I think you were both stretching it, to <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, Kokoro understands where he's coming from, as she knows about, uh, broken promises. She tells him that no one's perfect, and that, uh, we're all screwed up, like, we all screw up like this every now and then. But rather than dwell on it, you just gotta keep moving forward and try to be better from that moment on. Regaining control, Mitsuru and Kokoro manage to synchronize and open up a big hole in the enemy to expose the core for Strelitzia to destroy it. And after the battle, Futoshi reprimands Mitsuru for his behavior, complete with another uh, Gurren reference. I saw it as Gurren reference where he does the, let's see, get those teeth punch to him. I mean, yeah, that one was a little more explicit because, you know, the, the whole grit your teeth line. But uh, Mitsuru promises that he will protect Kokoro in the future. And Futoshi decides to let Kokoro go and accepts that she's Mitsuru's partner now. Though that isn't going to stop him from being upset about this. Just fucking bawling his eyes out for like the, one of the flash shots of the episode. He's all like, oh, I love Kokoro. Why does my heart hurt so much? <laughs> I'm sorry to make him sound like squeaky voice teen there, but still. <laughs> Could they please have just given them one dot line of dialogue explaining why she changed up or something? <laughs> Maybe like uh, maybe like the writers of the show were kind of thinking like ah those earlier scenes between Kokoro and Mitsuru were kind of foreshadowing a bit at least that's what I think they were kind of going for maybe but could she, could she have just said like I want to be there for him or it's like I'm sorry but I just don't see you in that way or like anything fucking anything like the body you can't fucking rely on body language alone which they don't rely on very well with her I don't know they I feel like they rely on body language a lot throughout this entire series cuz But they don't fucking do it here like I'm just confused Yeah oh yeah you're not wrong they don't really do it here with like Mitsuru or Futoshi They they could have handled this like so better like it frustrates me and again it kind of falls back on that previous complaint that they're all stupid fucking teenagers <laughs> who are not emotionally well developed so it's like you can easily just fucking explain it away as like, oh, they're dumb, like whatever, like they're hormonal teenagers. What are you gonna do? It's like, I mean, this this I mean, is they like what, do. 
Yeah, but like, ah, uh, this is like an, this is like one complaint that kind of come that like I know people bring up with like uh, the Legend of Korra, for instance, where it's like something, some like uh, cr- bad decisions that are made in the series, like are a result of because like the characters are like uh, like teenagers that make bad decisions because like they're young and not like very well experienced with the world and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's it's valid there, but I think it's even more of a... But, like, there were, like, su- things supporting that, though, that, like, still made it all very enjoyable. Like, you still really liked all the characters, but here, it's, like, something... That's a problem that permeates all the characters. And it, it is seen really badly here, where it's, like, they're excusing the shot... It feels like they're just kind of excusing the shoddy writing with how these teenagers are not experienced in the world or in relationships. It's frustrating. I feel like the, at least with this angle with like Kokoro and like Mitsuru and Futoshi, like I feel like they were already looking at the end game for this angle, but didn't realize like how to start it. Yeah, but even when they know how to like handle this better in other episodes, they certainly know how to handle how to handle it with Hero and Zero too. But like not here with like some of your other main cast members, like. That feels wrong to me. Nah, I gotta save that writing time for, like, a beach episode and a Boys vs. Girls episode. Uh, you know, with uh, Futoshi just, like, uh, blubbering like a baby here, I kind of wanted to ha- have Ichigo just, like, come up to him, you know, pat him on the back saying, Hey, man, I know how you feel. They could have done that even, <laughs> too! I would have loved that, though. They could have even done that! Because they don't even try to, like, branch any relationship between these two, either. Ikuno and uh, Futoshi. Looking ahead to the rest of the series, uh, Futoshi kind of takes this breakup pretty well, actually, because after a while... He's Surprisingly just... well. Yeah. God, can you imagine if he, like, went down the path of, like, Bill from King of the Hill? <laughs> <laughs> Kokoro! He just, he just starts, like... <laughs> you know, like, uh, he goes missing one day, Hiro tries to go find him, and he's like, Hey, hey what are you doing here, Kokoro? He's like, Hello, Hiro! What the hell is going on? <laughs> Futoshi, take off the dress. Why are you calling me Futoshi? <laughs> I'm Kokoro, silly. I come back because I love Futoshi so much. And I really miss him. Like, oh my god. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing this anymore. You you protected me on the battlefield. Now you're not even trying. You're playing some weird game. I don't know. Some kind of weird tennis. <laughs> Fucking guy is like Phil. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. Utoshi, I am Kokoro, and I don't want to partner with you anymore, because you're a big simp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Or, uh, oh, man, could you imagine him being, like, uh, Bobby after he broke up with Connie? I don't know if that would have been fucking better with what they, than what we got in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if Utoshi gets, like, a box of chocolates, goes up to the greenhouse where uh, Kokoro's watering the plants, and just rips off his shirt, and he's like, rubs the chocolate into a heart onto his body. Kokoro! <laughs> I'm your little candy man. (laughs) (laughs) Then he shows up dressed up as Cupid later. (laughs) Who wants to fall in love? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, you licked it. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, That would have been great. I had more fun here than watching any episode of this series. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, with, like, a lot of this, like, how they handled the whole partner shovel thing and how they handled, uh, Zorame and Miku spotlight episodes, like, uh, it's, it could have been done it's better. It's sloppy. Like, uh, to be honest, when I first watched this, I, I enjoyed it, and I still kind of enjoy it now, but, like, even then, in the back of my head, I was kind of, like, armchair booking, like, ah, oh, if they'd just done this, it would have been so much better. Yeah, like, if they, if they had, j- 
If they had just tweaked it. Yeah. Like, if they had just, you know, written it well. Yeah. <laughs> it would have, it would have like, worked out better in the long run. Yeah, like, honestly, right here, I actually wrote it down, like, how I would have done this better. So, like, you know, cut out the Boys vs. Girls episode, we don't need that. Instead, like, do the Ichigo and Goro episode after the Beach episode. You know, kind of start the whole Spotlight series thing going on. Then after that, you can do an episode where Zorame and Miko have issues piling, you know, kind of get, you know, how their haughtiness and brattiness are kind of getting in the way of, like, them doing missions. Then Nanahachi see this and propose the partner shuffle, and for one mission, they have the squad try it, and then they can, like, kayfig explain it, saying, like, how the reason they can pilot with different partners is because, you know, the squad is becoming closer and closer together during this fight, so they can, like, easily swap partners with each other. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you can have the uh, the team split up exactly like this, you know, Zoromei and Ichigo, Goro and Miku, Futoshi, Ikuno, Mitsuru Kokoro, but uh, Hiro and Zero Two stay together because, you know, they only pilot with each other. No, have a mission go well, and then they do it again for another mission, and then there you can introduce a problem during the fight, whatever, like, someone gets knocked out, and then they, uh, Miku and Zoromei have to come together, and then they finally work together and uh, fight and win the day. Well, another thing that doesn't get, like, well used later on is that, like, the whole partner shuffling thing where they're all like, okay, well, what if one of us gets out of commission and someone else has to pilot it? That never even comes up again because they stick to these teams for the rest of the series. They don't ever write a scenario in which this, like, actually becomes prevalent. Yeah, and also with, like, the partner shuffle thing, like, you can have, like, you know, her, because of her time with Mitsuru and then maybe fleshing out some earlier scenes, then you can have, like why Kokoro wants to pilot with him instead of Futoshi. Or develop these four characters and then put them in a scenario later where they do switch back to their original partners temporarily, but they're different people now, and, like, they, they've changed and it will mean something. That never com- That never happens. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is a huge missed opportunity. I'm, I'm just now realizing how much of a missed opportunity this whole episode was and how they handled these uh, four characters in particular. Right, right. So, at this point, we're kind of reaching the first half finale here. So, as we end off the first half of the series, let's go back to where it all began. The Garden. This is a parasite development facility, basically where all the kids are born and raised until the day they are deemed worthy enough to become Frank's pilots. This is where the squad grew up, and they're back for some testing, though Zero Two will undergo some thorough series testing. But, before the testing begins, we are formally introduced to some new characters. They made some brief cameos in the first half, but let's finally get to know them. Introducing the Nines, led by Nine Alpha, played by our boy Justin Briner. Uh, yeah, um, teased at the end of episode six, I believe. Yep. Six episodes later, they're now back in the story. They kind of had a brief appearance, at least Nine Alpha did, in the uh, Beach episode in like a flashback, when uh, Hero and Zero Two are named official partners. He showed up there. Twelve episodes in... And we have all these characters that have, like, these unique designs and whatnot, and we are just now learning about them and what they actually are. I mean, you gotta focus on the squad first before you can introduce these guys. I guess. Because they kind of play more of a prominent role in the second half than they do in the first. Yeah, but, like, that that also becomes a problem, though, with how they handle them. <laughs> a little, yeah. Yeah. But uh, these guys are a special forces unit under Ape, which uh, Zero Two used to be a part of. But meanwhile, Zero Two is going through some serious shit, as we've seen over the course of the past few episodes. As uh, when she was officially partnered with Hero, she was, like, on Cloud Nine. Is that a pun? I'm gonna count that as a pun. (laughs) You can if you want. I'll throw you that one. But it looks like the honeymoon period is coming to an end. And meanwhile, meanwhile, disobeying orders, Hiro and the others visit the old facilities where they used to live, hoping to meet Naomi again, but she is nowhere to be seen, and the adults refuse to tell them where she is. As you know, she's, uh, hey, kids, why don't you come over here? 
Don't ask any more questions. Yeah, more stuff that will be delayed until way later in the series and won't be really <laughs> satisfactorily completed on. So they discover that uh, the children from the garden are being developed into parasites at a much earlier age in response to the increased number of Klaxosaur attacks. Later on, the squad returns to the main facility, and there we get a scene between Ichigo and Nine Alpha, and they have a chat, leader to leader. He lets her in on a little secret about Zero Two. She curses her partners, and then drains her partners' lives away. If Hiro continues to ride with her, then he'll be a monster just like her. He'll lose his humanity. Doesn't he? Well, he also clarifies that uh, Hiro may just be lucky in how long he has been lasting with Zero Two. Yeah. And that, really, he's just a battery that has been lasting longer than usual. <laughs> you know, he's like a portable battery that you charge every night. Like, it's like it, it's still, like basically, it's still inevitable that he will be completely drained. Yeah, he does mention that here, where he's just like, he's kind of, he's just been kind of getting by with past the, uh, the three times thing, you know, it's kind of lasting longer than anyone else. Right. But afterwards, it's time to go into battle as we get a Klaxosaur attack. And this time, we get a sweet-looking winner battle. Zero Two goes completely overboard in this fight. She's just desperate to kill more and more Klaxosaurs as she feels this will make her more human. And then I will uh, splice in the little uh, confrontation between Hiro and Zero Two after the fight where they're at the lake. idea why you're so fixated on being human but you are who you are how you were born doesn't matter and neither do your horns and fangs shut your damn mouth i was attracted to the person you are it doesn't matter whether you're human this entire time i've been trying to figure out why i felt this way about you and after watching goro and futoshi i understand i know what this feeling is zero two i love you i love you exactly the way that you are Love me? What's that mean? What are you? Is this it? It's what you're talking about, right? Then I'll teach you what comes after kissing. No, that's not it! Stop that! This isn't what I meant! You're wrong! I was... This is so tedious. Just hurry up and let it out. But this isn't enough. You still have to kill more of those monsters and make me human! After all, you're nothing more than my fodder! Fodder? So yep, 
The honeymoon period looks to be over. Eh, they had a nice run. Too bad, they made a nice couple. Though, I thought they did a good job of getting over Zero Two's inner turmoil. Like, her scenes at this point are, like, very unsettling and made, made her out to be even more unpredictable than before. Yeah, it's it's fine, you know. They're getting they're getting over the um, outburst uh, well enough. Also, Whopper acting by Tia Ballard. Good stuff. Yeah. So, when a second wave of Klaxosaurus attack, Squad 13 sorties again, and once more, Zero Two turns rogue. Hiro tries to stop her, but then she goozles him. Like, grabs him by the throat here. And then she kind of does the uh, end of Ava strangle here. Uh, a little bit. I would just call it plain old choking. <laughs> I don't know. It's got, it's got to frame the same way. Like, I saw pictures online of them, pe- people putting, like, side-by-side images, and it's kind of, like, framed in the same way. Yeah, but I didn't fucking watch it see the images online, so it's like I'm, det- I'm detached from that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you are getting bamboozled by people online who are trying to make beelines between this and Ava. I mean, it's still an obvious reference. Like, even if you don't see it, it's still not there. I just saw this regular fucking choking. <laughs> It, you know, Zero Two's going for Are you going to reference any choking in another series as, like, an Ava reference? Oh, Bart, Homer is strangling Bart. It's an Ava reference. <laughs> but come on, it's kind of obvious here. Why, you little... <laughs> can't breathe. Uh, wouldn't be great if Zero Two said, why you little, at this scene. <laughs> uh, let's hear we get the method to her madness as she wants to become more human so she can reunite with her darling. Her original darling. Hiro then suddenly begins to have visions of his forgotten past, but that's a story for next time. So, we made it through the first half of the series, how you feeling? Okay, so we made it by the half point, and we still don't know what the fuck the Klaxosaurs are. Yeah, dino monsters. We don't know what really happened to Naomi. Uh, Just fucking chucked her to the side. Yeah, don't care about her. We know barely anything about the Nines. They're mysterious and kind of weird. And only one of them talks, really, or cares to talk. Yeah, they'll just talk later. I am not feeling hopeful. <laughs> These were my thoughts at the time when I when I reached the midpoint of the series. And also, I only like about half of these char- main characters. Uh, really, who are some of your good ones? I guess I marginally like Zero Two and Hero... And also, um, uh, Ichigo and Goro. The other four, not really. <laughs> <laughs> they all feel very weak in my in my regards. Or the other, or the other six, I should say. The other six, not really caring much about. Mm. Uh, it's it's not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good, buddy. Really, because this is uh, this is still when the series was still good, even people who were. Before they became detractors, they still admitted that this was still the good point of the series. No, at th- by this point, I was just thinking, this is just like any other... This, if this were like released at any other time, and if you didn't know it was Studio Trigger releasing it, you would just think this was like another like dime a dozen like teen mecha anime. Like, really, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> like, it, nothing about it really like pops out very much in terms of uh, in- intrigue or uh, really originality. I, I would say, uh, it's, like, if this were, like, released during any other anime season, and if it didn't have the prestige of Studio Trigger behind it, I feel like this is one that would just float to the background. You're not wrong there. I I'm not! You're not I'm wrong. not! Yeah. This being a Trigger and, show no, And we, we also need to clarify that there was hype for this. There was. We, I, I feel like this is something we didn't really get into before, and I think we do. This uh, this is a good point to end off the podcast on. But there was hype for this anime. 
Yep, I uh, forgot to mention it earlier, but uh, this was announced at uh, Anime Expo 2017, and they had, like, you know, the staff from Trigger and the staff from A1 Pictures Cloverworks all on stage at Anime Expo hyping up the show saying, like, Darling the Frank's coming next year. Yes, and there were there were people cosplaying ahead of time on these character, mm-hmm. as these characters. There was Buzz Online. I mean, because it was like Studio Trigger, like, approaching a, a teen mecha anime, trying to make their own big imprint on the world. You know, to everyone around the world, this looked big. Yeah. This looked like a major stepping stone for the studio. Yep. And Trigger being like spun off from Gainax. Gainax known for one of the most famous mecha anime of all time. And Trigger saying like, hey, we're going to do our own. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, there was a lot of intrigue among everybody. And yeah, I feel like that is a bit of a contributing factor to um, how the series was eventually kind of received. Because people were getting hyped up for a mid-tier anime by the end. And I'll be saying this a lot throughout this. I've said it a lot through this podcast, and, I said, and I'll probably be saying it a lot through the next part. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to hear that. Like, as much as I do really enjoy the series, and like, yeah, spoiler alert, I'm probably going to praise it at the end of part two, but like, you're not wrong. But that's, that's how I felt by the midpoint. The rest of the series, though, that's when my opinion of mid-anime dropped to like bad anime (laughs) and i will have my issues with the second half because i'll say this now the first half is much better than the second half yes absolutely like there's a point in the second half where it's still pretty good and then once it reaches that point there's like a big high and then after that it kind of starts to dwindle a bit there's a big pants shitting moment In the second half. There is, yeah. <laughs> there is, though. But there are still major problems before and after, before that even, too. Like, we're... This this is only the beginning, folks. This is only the beginning. For, for me, it's all downhill from here. And for me, still highest of highs until we get to that one point where it kind of starts to go, oh, maybe, no. Well, maybe, just maybe, I will change your mind a little by the end. No. <laughs> Maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> I know I'm not going to change your mind. You're you're a lost cause for me. <laughs> right, right. I'm unchangeable. I am a, I am an immovable rock, but you are movable. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like at the end of Rocky Four where he says, like, if I can change, you can change. And, then, uh, and I say, if I can change, you can change. But you're like, no, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to stay Soviet Russia forever. We love Drago. <laughs> Fuck you, Rocky. Go back to America. <laughs> I'm glad he killed Apollo Creed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but still, like, even for me at this point, I'm still really enjoying it. You know, I've seen, I've, wow, this is like my third rewatch of the series. I'm still Christ. enjoying it. Though, like, for this podcast, since I'm being a little bit more analytical, you know, so I can have stuff to talk about, I am noticing some of the flaws in this series even more so than I did the first time around. But even so, I'm still really enjoying the series. And as we get to the second half, I notice the flaws a lot more. But even then, still having a time of my life watching this hmm okay okay like that's kind of the big thing for me like it's like this series i find enjoyable that's the key word i'm enjoying my time watching this show well we will see if things change at all in the second part of our battle oh yeah (laughs) round two and next time
Thanks for listening for the first part of our Darling in the Franks two-parter. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at MikeyShioda on Twitter, MikeyShioda.tumblr.com, and MikeyShioda on the gram. And where can you find you, Ryan? You can find me at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at anime underscore baby. That's anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. And also follow the show on animebebe.podbean.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to tell me how wrong I am for enjoying this show, then send them to animebebepod at gmail.com. That's animebebepod at gmail.com. Go easy on them. I'm going to go way harder in the second path. Right. <laughs> You're going to fucking murder me, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll go easy on you. Okay, because like, we only just started living together. I don't want you to kill me now. <laughs> No, that part comes it comes eight months in. Yeah, you know, we still got a year-long lease. Yet we got to at least wait it out. Oh damn it! <laughs> <laughs> you gotta wait until some. You gotta wait until like a, you give me a show that I fucking hate. Oh, but jokes on you! It was a three hundred dollar deposit. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but join us next time for the pulse-pounding conclusion to Darling in the Franks. It's gonna be quite the ride. Until then. Stay safe out there, wear a fucking mask, wash your hands, practice social distancing, black lives matter, trans lives matter, defund the police, and save the post office, remember the vote in November, and thanks again for listening, and this has been Anime, Anime Baby! To be continued. See you in part two. Too cute for you not to leer at me.